Hello, people of the way. Uh, before we begin our study, I have a little announcement about communion. Today is Communion Sunday, and uh, we're going to have in our little fellowship, uh, 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 we're going to partake of communion, but we're going to do it uh, uh, off-site, uh, remotely off-site. Uh, and so we're going to do it, everything in in, uh, uh, in compliance to um, uh, social distancing, uh, government standards, state standards, uh, in order to comply with the government, in, in being in, in submission to government, uh, honoring the Lord, and then at the same time, uh, fellowship of the saints. And so uh, we're going to do that. But, you know, if you're listening to this and you uh, want to partake of communion, uh, what I want you to do is go to the church website. Go to the church website and uh, just uh, the, contact us and then uh, let us know. And what we'll do is we'll send you the elements for communion. Uh, they come in little packages where you can partake of the elements. Uh, and then at the same time, uh, we will uh, uh, start doing the uh, remote communion messages again. So we can all partake as one body with many parts, different locales. Um, and so uh, that's my little announcement that we have regarding Communion Sunday. And uh, um, it's, it's so beautiful where we're at in the New Testament. If you're listening for the first time or maybe you have been listening very long, uh, in the, on Wednesday, our Wednesday study, we go through the Old Testament and the Lord has us in the book of Leviticus. Uh, and then on Sundays, we go through the New Testament and the Lord has us in starting the book of Romans. And with that, we have the full counsel of the Word of God. Every Sunday, you know, uh, Lord permitting, there might be times where we have topical studies on, you know, depending on what what, uh, uh, what the Lord uh, has for us. Uh, but going through the full counsel of the Word of God, it's the most healthy for the Christian because we understand the character, the nature of our Lord deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, here we are, we, we ended our, our study in the book of Acts. And what's so beautiful when we, we consider what we've learned thus far in the New Testament, of course, we've gone through uh, 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 Hebrews, we've gone through Timothy, I mean, pretty much from uh, Galatians on to the end, on to Revelation, we've studied that already. But then, you know, if you're listening and you're a new listener, we haven't started recording for, a, a, you know, it, that's kind of recent, uh, these recordings. And so with these recordings, you know, we kind of, we, 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 we uh, touched in Matthew or we, we have a complete study in Matthew. And it's so beautiful because when you see the book of Matthew and then, you know, we ended the book of Matthew and then we kicked off in Acts and we came to the end of Acts. But what do you see in these passages, the gospel of Matthew, according to Matthew, and then you have Acts, you see the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord, his ascension, and then his resurrection. And then you see, just as he promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit upon Christians, upon the church. And then that's where we kick off in Acts. And then Acts, you see all the Acts of the Apostles. That's what's so beautiful about the book of Acts. It's actual Acts. <laughs> you know, what they did. You know how the Lord tells us in the Old Testament to, to keep his law, but then do also perform and, you know, it's written to us, too, as New Covenant believers, to not be hearers of the Word only, but also doers of the Word. To apply the Word of God in our lives. My life and your life. This is very important because if we just have head knowledge, it, it, there's no salvation in head knowledge. It's kind of like, you know, uh, Jeopardy. I mean, you see Jeopardy contestants, you think, wow, this guy's so smart, this gal's so smart. Well, it's just kind of like retention of knowledge. I don't know if I equate that to smarts. It's just retention of knowledge, which you can say is, you know, somewhat smarts. But what about the application? 
the application of what you learn. And that's how it is with our walk with the Lord. We take His Word. We learn from His Word. We gain knowledge in the Word. But then at the same time, we have to apply it in our lives. We then have to take concepts that we learn, precepts that we learn in Holy Scripture, and now apply them in our lives. And that was a big problem. You know what we see in the epistles? A huge problem. Because you take the gospel according to Matthew, what we've studied already, and then you take the book of Acts, and understand that the book of Acts covers a large period of time, about 40 years. It's debatable. Some people say 32 years to 40 years, but you know it's about 35 years. It's a big span of time. Letters that have already been written while the book of Acts was being written, so while Paul was on his uh, missionary journeys, 1 Thessalonians has already been written. Um, and there's a year gap between 2 Thessalonians, which has already been written. 1 Corinthians has already been written. 2 Corinthians has already been written. And there's a three-year gap between the two books, the two letters. Uh, the letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians, it's already been written. And the book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome has already been written. Now, some people, if, 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 in, in, it, it, there's no historical evidence that Paul was in Rome prior to his uh, um, uh, um, uh, incarceration when he was in Roman captivity as a, under house arrest. And so when he writes this letter, it's like, well, who started the church? And you have to be careful with history because it's, a lot of history is muddied by Catholicism. You know, they say Peter was the first pope and, you know, Peter went over here, Peter did this. And it's like, wait a second. So it's not historically clear who exactly started the church in Rome. What is the main theory, which I lean towards, is that in Acts chapter 2, when you see the gifts of the Holy Spirit fall on the, the tongues of fire on the, uh, on, on, on the disciples, and then all of a sudden they start teaching in tongues, they start preaching in tongues, what happens is that thousands, multitudes of people became Christians, they believed. Remember when they were like, what do we do? You know, what, what, what they, thought, uh, they thought everybody was drunk, and then Peter gave his... You know, dissertation to the people. We're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. We're not drunk. And then he gives the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says that the people were cut to the heart when they heard the truth of God's word. And so all of a sudden what happens, you have multitudes, thousands of people became Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ. Now, from that moment, people remember people were coming to Jerusalem, you know, as in, a, in, a, in a custom to the law, coming to Jerusalem to honor the Lord. And then what happens is that when they went back home, you know, you have like the eunuch, remember the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he's like on his way back home, but people went back home and they go to Rome. And so historically they say, that's how the church started in, in, in Rome. And that's what I lean towards. You know, sometimes, you know, you read history and you have to be very keen on what is Catholicism and what they say. It's like, okay, you read, read, read. Okay. This is understandable. Boom. This is a Catholic reference. Garbage. I don't accept it. I say that as a former Catholic. I don't accept it. Because what has emanated from Rome when they start to accept certain writings, you know, certain extra biblical, beyond biblical writings, I don't, I don't include that as the canon of Scripture. All you have to do is read the uh, catechisms of the Roman Catholic Church. It doesn't align with Scripture. 
Holy Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, First Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council. I don't accept it. You know, I'm very cautious about what emanates from Rome and the city of seven hills. Very, very cautious, especially what the Bible tells us about seven hills. Prophetic implications, hardcore prophetic implications. Very important to see here, who is it that the Lord uses in these epistles? I mean, here we're starting in Romans. But when I say epistles, it's like straight up from, I mean, you take your Bible and put your finger in the book of Rome, like the, chapter 1, and then all everything you have to the right. I'm, I'm speaking, you know, I'm in Western culture. I'm in America. If you happen to be like in Middle Eastern cultures, it's the opposite. You know, go to the left. Or, or wait, it's still left to right, but you read uh, right to left. So, you know, it, it, it's everything from Romans to Revelation. You know, it's like, wait a second. What is it that the Lord has and who are the vessels that he's using? Who is it that he uses? Paul, James, Peter, John, Jude. These are different. These are different. You hear me say like when we reference Paul in the book of Acts, you know, he's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. But he's not alone. There's James, there's Peter, there's John, there's Jude. The people that he uses, when uh, uh, what they do is they correct. The Lord uses them as vessels of correction to reaffirm, to encourage, and also to warn. Churches, Christians, saints, believers. They address carnality. They address doctrine. They address uh, 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 hypocrisy. They address spiritual warfare. They address spiritual gifts. Again, to believers, both pew Christians and pulpit Christians. Look at Paul's letters to Pastor uh, Titus and young Pastor Timothy. There's something very special about these vessels that the Lord uses. And, you know, no pride whatsoever, no pride. In all humility, they have no carnality, no hypocrisy. And you see the power of the Holy Spirit, how God uses them. And praise be to the Lord. It reminds me a lot of the Old Testament and the priests that the Lord uses as vessels to make people right with the Lord. You know, make people right with the Lord. And then at the same time, you get to the New Testament and it's the exact same concept. For people to be right with the Lord, that's the whole purpose. But the question is, who is it that the Lord is going to use? Who is it? I pray it's you, my friend. That's my prayer. You know why? Because the church today is a mess. Straight up, it's a mess. It's in chaos. It's in disarray. Another sign of the last days, the condition of the church, the condition of the last days church. It's a mess, straight up, doctrinally speaking. But then you look at Christians. Look in families, Christian homes. It's a mess. But you read passages in Scripture and be like, wow, this is a mess. You look at the church in Corinth, wow, this is a mess. You look at the church in Galatia, a church that wants to go back to the law, man, what a mess. And Paul has to write, he says, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You guys want to hate me now? And all I'm doing is I'm telling you the truth because I love you? So we have these examples of vessels such as a Paul, James, Peter, John, Jude. If you're a female, if you're a beautiful sister in Christ, be like, man, these are all guys. Well, don't forget Chloe. 
Don't forget Eunice and Lois. Old Testament. Don't forget Zipporah. These, these women are like my heroes. Beautiful, beautiful women on fire for the Lord. And very powerful ministries that they have. I mean, when we get to the book in Corinth, or, or 1 Corinthians, we look at the church, and you say, wow, what a mess that the church is in. When we get into like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I can't believe this is happening. Such a carnal church. And you know who alerted Paul to it? It was beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Little fellowship in her home. She writes a letter, Paul, there's something going on in the church. It's not good. Where in the world were the pastors? That's what I want to know. Where were the elders? Maybe it's fulfilled in those so-called pastors, <clears throat> in those so-called elders. Maybe it's fulfilled in them what Paul says in, in uh, Acts chapter 20 about how some of you will become wolves. Not sparing the flock. So when you hear me say things like the church is a mess, I don't say it. I don't just pull it out of my hat. I say it as evidence in what I see. Pastors who say grave soaking is okay. Pastors who speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and holy laughter, what emanates from Pensacola. It's garbage. And because of hypocrisy, because of carnality, because of crazy doctrine that does not align with Scripture, people either fake the power of the Holy Spirit, which is blasphemy, or they say the Holy Spirit was reserved for 2,000 years ago, also blasphemous. Remember, God says, I am who I am, not I was who I was. It's very powerful for us. That's my exhortation to you as we kick off our study through the epistles. Our first study is in the book of Romans. My challenge is for to you is to be a vessel of the Lord. And something I have to say about that. In order to be a vessel of God, you first need to be a vessel of God. You say, wait a second, you, you just said the same thing. You're right, I did say the same thing. But let me clarify, in order to be used of the Lord, you first need to belong to the Lord. Allow the Lord to do the work inside of you first. As you not just have head knowledge, you have the knowledge of our studies in the Word of God, your own personal studies in the Word of God, your prayer life, and how the Lord speaks to you from His Word, how He comforts you, and you need to apply. My challenge to you is to apply the word of God in your life. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent. And as you apply the word, like, you know, the Bible says, don't lie. You know what that means? When you, you, you read it, oh, I have head knowledge of the Bible. The Bible says, don't lie. Now, applicationally, you know what that means? Don't lie. That's what I mean when I say apply the word of God in your life. It's not just my message to you. It's my message for all of us. I'm in the same boat. And let's let the Lord use us as vessels. Because the church is a mess. Christian homes are a mess. Look at the divorce rate. You can look at the world, look at the church, and you know what you see? No difference. It's exactly the same. And how sad it is, how terrible it is. But then at the same time, is to say, okay, let's... Let's understand this condition and let's address it, address it, of course, in prayer. But then at the same time, it's to understand, Lord, here I am. Lord, here am I. How will you use me, Lord? 
Now, if you're listening, you know, I, the large majority of listeners, I have no idea who you are. And I'm going to venture to say that maybe you have a fellowship that you go to, that you attend on Sundays or whatever, whatever days. Maybe you don't. But if you do and you have a church fellowship where, you know, they're crazy, doctrinally speaking, the pastor says, oh, yeah, let's go grave soaking. Or the pastor starts, starts teaching things that are contrary to doctrine. And in your heart of hearts, you're like, wow, you know, what do I do? Well, you be a vessel. You be like the Chloe. You be like the Paul. You be like the James. It's very important. Because just as there was a remnant in the Old Testament, there's also a remnant according to grace. It's the remnant church refined through fire. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's my desire for us as believers. If you're a non-believer, you know, become a believer. God loves you. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're a non-believer. If you're a young believer, like a, a baby Christian, grow, mature. Lay aside those things that hinder you. And then also lay aside the elementary things of the faith. Move on to perfection. I mean, you look at first grade home, homework assignments in first grade. I mean, they're really cheesy. You know, draw a circle. That's your homework assignment. And then you look at like calculus when you're in college doing like calculus kind of stuff. I don't know, maybe high school calculus. I don't know if they have that. It's been a while since I've been in school. But you go to like college level courses, your homework in college, you're not drawing circles anymore. You're not, you know, finger painting, draw a square, draw a triangle. That's first grade. In the church, there are a lot of people who've been walking with the Lord. Oh yeah, I've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And then you try to talk to them about deep spiritual things. They have no idea what you're talking about. And I don't want to hurt anybody's little feelers. I don't want to hurt your feelers. But from my perspective, I think it's kind of shameful. And I don't say that to hurt you. I say that to encourage you, to also comfort you, in also saying, let's move on. Let's move on to perfection. All those elements, the finger painting, drawing circles, drawing squares. Let's put that aside and let's go to second grade now. And then, you know, you learn all that stuff. Let's put that aside and let's go to third grade. Fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth, and then on to perfection. That's why Paul, that's what happened with beautiful, beautiful Timothy. Little Timothy, little seeds that were planted. Beautiful, beautiful seeds that were planted by mama and grandma. Eunice and Lois in little Timothy. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, a husband and wife say, you know, man, you know, we, uh, we've, we're kind of maxed out. And look, our little son, little Timmy, he loves the Lord so much. We're kind of maxed out. What do we do? And they say, Paul, here, can you take my son? Do you know how hardcore that is? I mean, who is it in your life? You have a son, you have a daughter. Who is it in your life? They love the Lord. They fear the Lord. They want to learn more of the Lord. And you're maxed out. Who is it that you will say, hey, Mr. Whatever, can you take my son? Can you teach him? There's like, I want to say there's two guys that I could do that to. But in actuality, there's probably just one guy. 
one guy where I could say, you know, the doctrine is sound with this guy. Hey, you know, I've maxed out. I've, I've poured into my kid as much as I can. I'm maxed out. Can you take him under your wing? One. And there's a lot of people in all Christendom. I know pastors. I know elders. But no way would I say that. No way would I take my kid and say, hey, go under this guy. Because that guy, his doctrine is crazy. He's a pervert. And this is a pastor or elder. That's why I say these are different animals. A different bear. He's not like the average bear. Be like that. If you're male, female, young, old, I, I really don't care. Because in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, rich, poor. There's all equality in Christ. And when I say equality, I'm not talking about the crazy social gospel that you hear going around, which is popular. You might have a pastor that's preaching social gospel. It's very very common, very popular. It's garbage. It's satanic. It's very evil. It's demonic. But there is equality in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Male, female, slave, free. And we're going to talk about that when we get to Ephesians. But to understand that in this equality, there's still a hierarchy. God the Father, the Son, and then husbands, wives, kids. In the church, you know, pastoral leadership, elders, deacons, bishops. So there's still this hierarchy. Equality, yes, but still a hierarchy. You know, it's... I like to think of it in military terms where, you know, I was in the military, uh, uh, the United States Marine Corps. And, you know, what blows me away so much is that, you know, that, you know you, you, everybody's a Marine, male, female, old people, young people, everybody's a Marine, every Marine a rifleman. But then at the same time, you look at certain jobs. You look at certain duties that are tasked. You look at uh, a certain uh, methods of training. You look at the rank structure, you look at the enlisted class, the officer class, rank structures, authority roles. So everybody's a United States Marine. Everybody. But there's a hierarchy. But the exact same thing applies to you and me in Christ Jesus our Lord. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. I know a lot of old people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. But they're little babies. And I also know young people who are titans in the faith. So age has nothing to do with it. And that's my challenge to you as we open up the epistles. Because we're, you know, already the letters to the church in Thessalonians, two letters. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, done. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, done. Galatians, done. Romans, done. What in the world has happened? You know, in some cases, a church is born and, you know, a church begins and then, you know, less than a year later, it's already a mess. Less than three years later, it's already a mess. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes a letter. Hey, church in Corinth, what's up, you guys? I don't, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but like, you know, what's happening? Your rejoicing isn't good, you guys. And he has to correct them. Through a letter. That's what's so powerful. Through a letter. Remember, you know, a lot of these letters that he's writing, you know, some of the epistles, you know, some of them, they've, they've, they've already been written where he wasn't in captivity. 
But where we ended in chapter 28 in the book of Acts, you know, he's in uh, house arrest, but it, it's, it, he's writing letters, encouraging the church, correcting the church. Encouraging the church is so powerful. But then at the same time, you know, you look at these vessels that the Lord uses, and that's my challenge to you. Be one of those. Don't be like the average bear. Be different. Remember how the Lord told Pharaoh through Moses? He says, I'm making a difference between your people and my people. Let the Lord make a difference in you. When your friends say, hey, let's go do crack. Hey, let's go to the strip clubs. Hey, let's go do this. Hey, look at my phone. Look at this pornography on my phone. You're a different animal, my friend. You're a different bear. I'm it. I want you to be. Move on to perfection. Your friends want to go do it, you know, crazy things. You say, no, I, I don't do that anymore. I'm not down with that anymore. Why? Because I love Jesus Christ and I fear the Lord. Instead of that, you know, you come with me. Let's have a Bible study. It might be one person. It might be two people. It might be small. But you know what? Praise be to the Lord. You don't do it for people. You do it for the Lord. People can be benefactors, but you love the Lord. That's my challenge as we open up the epistles. And there are many books in the epistles. That's my challenge. Look at who the, the vessels that the Lord uses. Look at our study in Leviticus on Wednesdays. Our study in Leviticus. Who are the vessels that the Lord uses? The priests. For people to be right with the Lord. That's the whole purpose. A very, very special people. Not in terms of pride, but in terms of duty. What they have to do in terms of making people right with the Lord. I mean, the Lord makes them right. But in obedience, there's certain things that have to happen in terms of sacrifice, in terms of uh, understanding, discerning what is good, what is bad, what is clean, what is unclean. And the Lord is teaching, just like He did in, 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 in the Gospel of Matthew. Teaching right and wrong. What do you see in the book of Acts? The disciples become messengers and they teach to help people understand the difference of right and wrong. And tell, sharing the good news. And so the churches begin, the churches blow up. And now the epistles, you know, certain letters are written. Hey, you know, this isn't good. The sexual sin that's happening, not good. You want to go back to the law? Not good. In Romans, what was the problem? People say Romans was like, you know, there was nothing wrong with the church in Rome. I beg to differ. I beg to differ because you remember in, in our study in the book of Acts, there were uh, Christians, former Pharisees, who came up with this idea. They took it upon themselves to go out and be messengers. The Lord didn't send them out. What happened? They took it upon themselves. Oh, we're going to be messengers. And this is the messengers we're going to send. We're going to start telling the church that in order to be saved, they have to be circumcised. That's the law. Remember we studied that? And Paul had issue with it. Peter had issue with it. Barnabas had issue with it. And praise be to the Lord. Because that's the law. And they were going telling Gentiles, Gentile believers, you want to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. That's the law. 
And this teaching spread and arguably entered the church in Rome. Entered the church, you know, period, flat out. And so these, you know, messengers, you know, they, they had to go out and set the record straight and say, no, 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 you, know, you don't have to be circumcised, but, you know, this is what you have to do. Abstain from, you know, things offered to idols, sexual immorality. We studied that in the book of Acts. The church in Rome was comprised of both Jew and Gentile. And we're going to touch on that in certain passages where Paul, he kind of brings everything together. This is the law and this is what the law means. And the law according to grace. There's death in the law. And Paul hits on that hardcore. And then there's passages, you know, where, you know, for you who are under the law, and then for uh, uh, you who are uh, 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 under grace, for you Gentiles, for you Jews, and he starts writing. For you Gentiles, he starts writing, and then he explains the root. You know, the branch is not greater than the root. And we're going to touch on that. A lot of, you know, uh, doctrinal things emanate from the book of Romans. I mean, a lot of doctrinal things emanate from the entirety of Holy Scripture. But foundational concepts, they just blow up here in the book of Romans. Young, young church, very young church. And Paul writes them a letter. I shouldn't say a lot of doctrinal things emanate from Romans. I shouldn't say it like that. I mean, it's true, but a lot of doctrinal emanates from the entirety of Scripture. It's so beautiful when you see these. Uh, that's, I don't know how to say this, but I, I really, my heart is for everyone who's listening, is to really grasp this, I don't want to say concept, I don't know how to say it, but really grasp this fact of who is it that the Lord uses. Who is it that the Lord uses? Look at Israel. When they went crazy, when they went into crazy town, I mean, you look at passages where we're studying now, and it's like, wow, this is so beautiful in Leviticus. But then at the same time, you get into the minor prophets, and you know, the, Israel is referred to as harlotry. You've, you've, turned, you've become a harlot because you go after other gods. And yes, that's Israel. And yes, it's sad. It kills me. It breaks my heart. But who is it that the Lord taps on and says, hey, Isaiah, I have a job for you. I want to use you as my vessel. Hey, Ezekiel. Hey, Jeremiah. Hey, Amos. Hey, Joel. Hey, Zechariah, Zephaniah. You see? Remember Amos? He's like, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. What does the Lord say? You're a prophet. Surprise, you're a prophet. He was like a, a farmer. Like a farmer's, not a farmer of his own farm. He was a hired hand. But yet he honored the Lord. You look at the entirety of Israel. And yet who are the ones that the Lord uses? You look at the entirety of the church that is blossoming and growing. And when things start to get shaky, certain doctrines start to creep in. Or the carnal nature says, let's go back to the law. Or the carnal nature which says, oh, this sexual activity is okay. 
Who is it that the Lord uses? Just like Amos, just like Zephaniah, just like Zechariah, just like Ezekiel. He uses Paul, James, Peter, John, Jude. What about you? That's what I'm talking about, to make this distinction. Desire to be a vessel of the Lord. Yes, a disciple of the Lord. But don't forget that the disciples became messengers used of the Lord. There's a lot of emphasis on, oh, I want to be a disciple of the Lord, which is good. That's fine. It's beautiful. But when you're at these, I mean, who goes to school forever? I mean, you see that a lot nowadays because people don't want to get jobs. So they get their student loans and do all this. They say, yeah, look, I'm making all this money. You know, it's crazy. It's uh, carnality. It's, uh, you know, people get going to college. They stay in the college. They do all these things. They get their student loan money. They go out and buy their groceries. They do, you know, pay their rent with their student loan money. It's fraudulent. It's carnality. Who wants to stay in school forever? And then they want to vote for somebody who's going to say, hey, your college, your student loans are all forgiven. Stupid. It's carnality. It's wickedness. But in Christ, yes, we're always learning. And the Lord is always stretching us. But at what point will a Christian, will a disciple transition to messenger? At what point? To be filled by the Lord and then used by the Lord. That's my hardcore exhortation to you. Beautiful listener. Is to be used of the Lord. Let the Lord fill you. And you know what? You can't be old wineskin. If you have your crack pipe, if you have your pornography, if you have your sexual stuff, your alcohol, you got to give it up. Go and sin no more. Give it up. Over, done, purpose in your heart. I'm done. And the Lord will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. And you're you're throwing away your old wineskin and you're putting on the robe of Christ, brand new wineskin. And what happens? The Lord pours new wine in you and you're being filled of the Lord. As a disciple, you're being filled, 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 filled. And then all of a sudden, the new wine in new wineskin, there's no holes, so it's not leaking out. Your vessel is able to contain the new wine. And then all of a sudden, it starts to pour out. It starts to pour out. And when it pours out, that's the transition from disciple to messenger. From disciple to vessel. In whatever ministry, I say messenger, but you know, whatever ministry it is. Of course, a messenger in terms of sharing the good news. But that's what I want you to grasp and hold on to and never forget. If you're not a believer, you're listening to this, become a believer. God loves you. God loves you. He's coming again. Judgment is coming. Get in the boat. That's what I'll say. Get in the boat. Capital B. Get in the ark. Join me. It's Jesus Christ. Repent and receive Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a believer and you're like, whoa, you know, you feel like an urging in your heart, don't ignore it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. You want to be right with the Lord? Hit the pause button right now and then listen to the message about, you know, how to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Become a a Christian. And then, you know, you're done with that. And I rejoice. Angels rejoice. And you're done with that. You become a Christian and then, you know, come back and listen. Join the fellowship. And let's move on to perfection together. Let's move on to perfection. And so here we are. 
Romans, open up the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. If you're a new listener, you're going to hear me pause every now and then. It's because I, I have to drink something hot. Right now it's coffee. Usually it's tea. But right now it's coffee. It's my throat. Pray for my throat because it's, it hurts. So here we go. In Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We touched on this a little bit in our last study on Wednesday about bondservant. It's being a voluntary slave. Remember, in accordance to the law, typically, well, I shouldn't say typically, but, you know, seven years, so there are some provision where, you know, time frames vary, but typically seven, I shouldn't, not typically seven years, seven years. So a person becomes a slave, a bought, a purchased slave for seven years. And after the seven years, there's a period of jubilee where it's all, all forget your freedom. You're, you're free. They have, have a, a year of jubilee. All debt is forgiven. You know, slaves are set free. And that's what happens in jubilee. And it, what happens, like, say, for example, if you're a slave, you're, you're a, ser- a servant, you're purchased. And you hate your master. It's like, wow, this guy's so cruel. He kicks me. He spits in my face. You know, he throws, he's, you know, eating chicken. He throws the chicken in my face or whatever, you know. He just treats you like dirt. You know, and then, you know, seven years is done. You're like, boom, I'm out of here. You know, praise be to the Lord. Because a lot of people look at the history of slavery. But in the, in the Bible, they look at the history of slavery. But it's actually to preserve a family. It's it's not a bad concept. It sounds terrible. Like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe this guy's saying this. Now, slavery in certain cultures is terrible. I mean, like slaves forever, and if you do, you know, you're killed. But it, when you read the Bible and you read the law about, you know, purchasing a slave, it's for a short period of time. And it's to preserve a family. It's to preserve the lineage of a family. So say, for example, if we go back in time, we're in the camp of Israel, and I'm in the tribe of Dan. I don't know why I'm picking on Dan, but at the same time, I'm in the tribe of Dan. I'm in the tribe of debt and I'm super poor and I can't afford anything for my family anymore. It's like, man, you know, really, things are really tight. All our animals are dead. You know, we're honoring the Lord and it's like, wow, what do I do? I say, okay, my family, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a servant at this guy's home. I'm going to go ask him, you know, if he needs to, I'll, I'll, I'll clean his house. I'll work, tend his field, tend his field. I'll take care of the animals. I'll do whatever. I'm going to be a purchased slave. And I work hard, so, you know, my value is, is high, you know. So it's like, okay, I go to the, 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 the owner of the, you know, the, the master, and I say, you know, I want to offer you my services. I want to be your slave. And I get hired on. I take this big chunk of money. I give it to my family. And, you know, hopefully they don't, you know, spend it like crazy. You know, because I've taught my kids well, I've taught, you know, my family well, what happens is that, you know, they're going to be good stewards. And they're going to recover. They're going to say, okay, let's buy a couple sheep. Let's buy a couple whatever animals. And let's breed them wisely. And, you know, start farming, taking care of the land. Let's, you know, take a period of time to repair the land. You talk to farmers about repairing land. It's very intricate. You know, oxygenating the soils, you know, doing all that. And so here I am. I'm like, I'm gone. I'm, you know, I'm a period of seven years. I'm out. And in this period of seven years, you know, a large chunk of money gets given to my family. I go out and I serve the master. And if he's nice, if he's a jerk, it doesn't matter. I'm fulfilling my obligation. And then after seven years, I'm free to go. My 
Master, I didn't like him. We didn't get along. He was very cruel. It's like, okay, I'm going back to my family now. And, you know, we're restored. The family is restored. You know, we were broke and everything was, you know, uh, going south. Our animals were dead. They were sick. They were mangy. The land was terrible. And now look, you know, the land is beautiful again. It's a small parcel of land because we're poor. A small parcel of land. But look, there's a little field. We have our little little tiny crop. We have a nice little flock of animals, good animals, no blemishes. So, you know, we can be right with the Lord, making offerings unto the Lord. So when you think of servanthood, when you read about servanthood in the Bible, it's like, whoa, this is a completely different concept because it's family restoration through servanthood. It's very important for us as believers. Now, say, for example, that exact same concept where, you know, I I go and I serve my master, but instead I didn't have a cruel master. I was in love with my master. I fell in love with my master. I could either go either go to the master and say, "Hey, master, you know, I love you. Can my family join us here? Can my family join? You know." And there were provisions in the law where you know, family. What what happens when a family joins the you know the, everybody's a servant, or when servants get married? Maybe there's a guy servant, a girl servant, and you know they meet as servants, and then they get married, and then they have kids. You know, there's all, there's all these provisions in the law. You read it and like, wow, this is like slaves. But it's a different kind of slave than what uh, world history teaches. What Bible history teaches is completely different because it's a form of love. It's a form of sacrifice on both ends for the slave and also for the master. And so say, for example, if that same concept where maybe I'm a son of a home where everybody's poor. Say my dad is poor. My dad is super poor. And my dad says, okay, son, I've trained you well. You're a hard worker. I'm going to sell you. You're not like, you know, this, you know, Joe Schmo over here or Joe Schmo over here. You work hard and I'm going to sell you. And, you know, we're going to get this money and, you know, we're going to have restoration for the family. We're not going to see you for a period of time, but you know what? You're going to, we're going to preserve the family and you go serve in this master's house. So I say, okay, pops, obedient to my honoring my dad, you know, I go and I serve the master and I'm under the master's house, but something happens while I'm a slave. I fall in love with the master. My time's up. It's, I'm free to go. But then I go to the master and I say, Master, Master, you know, I've been serving you for this long. And Master, I've fallen in love with you, Master. You've taken good care of me. You've treated me very fairly. You've treated me very well. And, you know, I love my dad and... I know that they're taking care of, they're fine, they're, they have restoration. But Master, I've fallen in love with you. Master, can I be your bondservant? What an honor it is for a master to hear that, can I be your bondservant? You know what? The, that's, it's so beautiful because it's like, like put yourself in, in a master's position. Where a person, male or female, says to you, in accordance with the law, I mean, you know, not advocating the law, but say a person comes to you, you purchase them as a slave because you need the help in your house. Rich people, they have big houses. They have big properties. It's very difficult for one one person to manage. I mean, you could have like 20 kids and it's fine. 
but it's very difficult. So what they do, they stay busy because they're always working and they hire people to help them, you know? And so like for a servant to have the opportunity to be free, you know, I'm no longer a slave. I am free. The door is open and I'm done. I've fulfilled my obligation. I'm free to go. But the, to the, the slave says to the master, master, I've fallen in love with you, master. And I want to be a bondservant. At that point, the master says, you know what? It's reciprocal. I love you too. Here, let's make you a bondservant. You're my bondservant now. And so they would take a, they would pierce the ear. They'd take like an owl, uh, an owl. I don't know how to pronounce it, owl, owl or owl. But they'd take this sharp knife device, like a little poker, like a like an ice pick. They'd take this and, and go to the, 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 uh, uh, the, the door, the threshold of the door, and it'd be in the right ear. And they would poke a hole in the ear like a piercing. And they would wear a ring in their ear, on the, on the right ear. And so say, for example, if you're a guest in a rich guy's house and, you know, they serve you a meal. And you see the servants, they're bringing you food. And you're like, okay, this is a cool servant. This is a nice servant. But then you see a different servant. You see the ear. You see it's pierced. Like, oh my goodness. And what if he's an old guy with a pierced ear? An old woman with a pierced ear. Like, whoa. You know, when, when he was in his prime, when she was in her prime, she was probably working hard and he was working hard. But look, you have an old woman, an old man with a piercing. That means that this guy has been with the master for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, his whole life probably, or a large bulk of it. This slave loves his master. Not only that, the master loves the slave. Because the master says, you know what? You see the old old bond servants, an old guy serving, an, uh, an old lady serving? What a re beautiful relationship. And then what if the master's at the table and hears people talking like, whoa, this guy, the master loves his slave. And then the master says, hey, cut it out. Don't refer to this guy as a slave. You know why? Because he's my friend. He's my friend. I love him. I love her. I used to have a master called alcohol. A very wicked, wicked and cruel master. Very painful but in my blindness, I loved that master even though he was cruel to me. Even though he was very mean to me. Because I didn't understand. I thought he took away my pain without realizing that he gave me more pain. That was my master. And then I found a new master. Or the new master found me. I say that to you because a lot of people... And maybe you have problems with alcohol, have problems with drugs, have problems with sex, have problems with all kinds of different things. You know what I say? You need a new master. Take that lowercase m, whatever master it is you serve, and cut it out. There's a new master. You know, you need to change. Change, change your uh, 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 master, capital M, from the lowercase m to the uppercase m. Change your master. You know why? Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He loves you. He loves you. And I discovered this new master, or this new master found me. Praise be to the Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says here. Paul, 
a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And you, you see, hear him say it here, a bondservant. But look at what we've studied in Acts. It's exemplified in his behavior, in his actions, in his deeds, in his speech, in his, in his words. You know what that means? No hypocrisy. A lot of people say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a bondservant. Oh, come on, let's go. Let's go do drugs. Oh yeah, I'm a bondservant. Let's go, let's go get high. Let's go to the strip club. I'm a bondservant. No, that's not a bondservant. Not of Jesus Christ. You read the book of Acts and what do you see? You see like, whoa, this, there's no hypocrisy. When he says he's a bondservant, it's like, whoa, he really is a bondservant. Because we know the vessel that the Lord uses. Let it be the same with you. Being a vessel of the Lord, used by the Lord for his honor, for his glory. Paul, in verse 1 here, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Separated. Does that ring a bell in our study in Leviticus? And I don't, I don't mean that to say that. I mean, you know, does that ring a bell? I'm not trying to be mean. Sometimes I have to be careful with how I speak because, you know, I, I, I've never really spoken eloquently. And I try to be open and candid and even, you know, like, like uh, uh, just open, just speak clearly and plainly. I, that, that's, that's how, that's my, that's my, uh, that's how I, that's how I conduct myself. I was going to say, that's how I do, <laughs> but that, that's just me, you know, <laughs> to speak that way. I don't, I don't use big words, but when I say like, you know, does this ring a bell? I don't mean to say that meanly or mean spirited, but it should ring a bell. Because in our study in Exodus, what is the Lord doing when he tells Pharaoh, I'm making a difference between your people and my people? He says that to Pharaoh through Moses. I'm making a difference between my people and your people. What does the Lord say in Leviticus? I am separating. You know, you're different. To be consecrated. So what does Moses say? He says, be holy for the Lord is holy. What does Peter say? Be holy, for the Lord is holy. And that's this concept of separation unto the Lord. The world is the world. We're, I mean, we've seen the book of uh, the Gospels, uh, 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 the book of Acts. That's the world. I mean, you know, Jesus Christ entering the world, disciples coming to Jesus Christ, and then uh, the, uh, 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 disciples becoming messengers, and then going into the world. That's the Christian's conduct and interaction in the world as fishermen, as uh, uh, prophets, as a prophetess, just like the daughters of uh, Philip, as whatever ministry the Lord has for you, serving in tables just like uh, 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 Philip and uh, Stephen and some others, just like Agabus. Remember we studied Agabus, the prophet? And here... What do we have? Letters to the churches. Letters to Christians. Letters to believers. And Paul is teaching them about separation. Consecration. Set apart. Being holy because the Lord is holy. And that's my exhortation to you as well. The world is the world. I meant 
pretend we're fishermen, like like literal fishermen. I mean, we are fishermen in Christ, but pretend we're fishermen. I mean, when I say the world is the world, the fish, the water, you know, if, if, if you're going to stand on ground, you stand on your two feet, you can walk around, you can frolic, you can do whatever. But if you want to be like the fish, you know what that means? It means you have to jump into the water and it means you have to sustain yourself underwater and be like the fish. You know what happens? You die because you're not a fish. So these epistles that we're reading from Romans on even to Revelation. You say Revelation is not an epistle. Well, I equate it to an epistle. It's, you know, an apocalyptic book. But a vision of the time, that, you know, things, events of the last days. But I see it as major encouragement for the last days believer. Major, major encouragement for the last days believer. But when I say the world is the world, that's like, you know, if you're going to jump into the water, you know, you can't survive. That's where you're going to die. So if you're a Christian, understand, make that delineation, make that uh, uh, discernment, apply that discernment when I talk about the world. Because these letters in the epistles, they're to Christians. And there might be a non-believer in the fellowship in Rome, in a fellowship in Rome, or a non-believer in the church in Corinth who just happens to go in into a fellowship and Paul writes about speaking in tongues. He says, okay, if, if a non-believer comes into your fellowship to see what's up with this Christianity stuff or my neighbor goes to this fellowship and people start speaking in tongues with no interpretation, he's going to think everybody's crazy. So Paul gives rules. The Bible gives us rules in speaking in tongues. So yeah, there's, you know, a fish can be out of water for a little bit of time because, you know, a fish out of water is going to die as well. But what happens when a fish is out of water and immediately is transformed into a lamb? I'm speaking metaphysically, very supernatural language that I'm using in concept. And then what happens when that fish becomes a lamb? The lamb becomes a sheep. And then what happens when a sheep becomes a shepherd? You see, it's growth in Christ understanding spiritual warfare as well because you know don't forget that a shepherd can also become a wolf and enter the flock where the sheep are where the lamb are speaks very highly of pastoral leadership leadership in the church as elders and pastors to protect the flock and kill the wolf metaphysically I'm not talking about you know killing but kill the wolf slay the wolf because where the flock is, they need to be safe. Protecting the flock. Not your flock. The flock of our Lord. So understand that these epistles, they're to Christians. Maybe there's a non-believer there. And the church in Rome, very, very, very young Christians. Very, very young Christians. And so this concept of being separated unto the Lord, being consecrated unto the Lord... If you don't understand the concept of holiness right now, then keep listening. Keep studying your Bible because the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will teach you about holiness through righteous living, through the conduct of holy men, holy women. He'll teach you more about holiness himself. He will teach you about himself, the, car the, the character of our Lord, the nature of our Lord. 
And so here Paul says, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Wow, this is so beautiful because, you know, say you're a new believer in the church in Rome and there's kind of that excitement. There's the excitement of being a brand new believer in Christ. It's like, wow, this is so exciting. This is so cool. A new believer, this is something brand new. Yes, it's a new covenant. But when Paul says here that he pro- the Lord promised through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, you start to realize, wait a second, this is nothing new at all. Yeah, it's a new covenant. But our Lord, it's nothing new at all. Because these are things that are promised and through the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Prophets. Wow, you start to see this is fulfillment. Having a new mind, a new spirit, a new heart. The same way it's fulfillment today when you become a born-again Christian. It's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jew and Gentile fulfillment. You might be a new believer and your walk in the new covenant is brand new. But you know what? It's an old concept. It's an old, I shouldn't say a concept. It's an old promise. You know why? Because God loves you. He loves you. It's timeless. God loved people a thousand years ago. He loves people today. Timeless. Remember, God never changes. God is the same yesterday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Malachi, I never change, says the Lord. He says this, uh, uh, which he promised before through through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born to the seed of of David according to the flesh another promise second samuel chapter 7 turn there really quick <clears throat> second samuel chapter 7 verse 12 says this this is the the lord speaking through the prophet nathan to to david it says when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers i will set up your seed after you you see who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. It's prophetic about Jesus Christ. You hear me say sometimes, you know, in Leviticus, we had our study about uh, semen, about sexual uh, uh, emissions. Men, pay attention. And you hear me mention, you know, uh, have regard for your seed. Look at our study through Hebrews, how there were uh, 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 tithes being made through the loins of Abraham. Or the Levitical priesthood that were that were uh, uh, that were in the loins of Abraham before they were even born. Have regard for your seed. It's not anything just to be thrown away. It's very important to understand these things. You know why? Because sexual sin, it's ravaging the church. It's destroying. Lives, it's destroying marriages. It's making people into like decrepit freaks. You know, I, I don't like to talk about movies too much, but there's this movie called Lord of the Rings. You might have heard of it, but there's this guy like uh, Gollum, you know, the little creature, the little crazy looking guy. And he's this little short guy and he's like weird looking and crazy. But then like in one of the movies, they showed him when he was normal. And, you know, he t- finds the ring and then he gets like all crazy and like decrepit. And, but that's what pornography does to you, men. That's what sexual sin does to you. You know, you look normal 
and you know you look normal, you behave normal, and then all of a sudden you get sucked into sexual sin, and you become a little crazy golem, you know. A little free, it's decrepit. It's it it it's like a cancer in the body. And men don't think like this. They don't think like, man, you know what? I have to have regard for my seed. I've talked with young men before. They say, oh, it's okay. She's not going to get pregnant. She's taking the pill. You know how much worse that is? It's so much worse because that means that that vessel that you say you love, you don't love its lust. If you love, it's like, okay, wait for marriage. Wait for marriage. Honor the Lord and wait for marriage. Man, the young boy, not young boys, but young men, you know, I call them boys, but young men, they say, oh yeah, it's okay, you know, she's taking the pill. No, that's that's even worse. That means that, you know, you're doing your thing and it's like that vessel is like a, a tomb for your seed. It's even worse. And then the young guys say, oh yeah, it's okay, look at her. They show me on their phone, look at her. What, am I going to look at a picture of a girl and be like, oh, it, that's okay then. Let's let's put God to the side. Let's put God on the back burner. Oh, yeah, go ahead and do it. You know how stupid that is? I wonder how many times, you know, a, 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 a young man comes to me and asks for help, asks for counsel or whatever, you know. And I wonder how many times he's gone to pastor number whatever or elder number whatever. But I wonder who told him, hey, this is sin. You need to repent. I've had pastors tell me before, I don't like correcting people. I don't like telling people about judgment. I don't like telling people about wrath because God is love. I'm just going to love on people and let God take care of the rest. That's sinister. No, if you're a vessel of the Lord, you're not a hypocrite. You're not, there's no carnal. I mean, you might have issues. You're always going to have issues with the carnal nature. It's part of the fight in the flesh. But I mean, like when I say the carnal nature, I mean, like for example, like if I were to tell you, if I were to tell you the things I repent of, like no, no action, you know. Sometimes it's what happens in my mind, and a lot of times it deals with anger. You know, it's like you know, one time I was you know out with some guys, and I say, man, I'm so angry. And one of the guys told me, man, that's that is that anger? Is that really your anger? Because that's not anger at all. And I start I was like weeping in my heart. I was like, wow, I was so rejoicing because you know. Anger for me was a big issue where anger turned into rage, turned into violence and like bad violence. And so to hear this guy tell me, wow, if that's your anger, that's, that's, that's nothing. And I was like rejoicing. Wow, Lord, look what you've done. And so look what happens here. Still in verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, <clears throat> in verse 13, he says, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's why, you know, you hear people refer, in, in the Gospels, you hear people refer to uh, uh, Jesus Christ as the son of David. The son of man, son of David, because they knew the prophecies. The, the, the coming Messiah. And it was the religious leaders, the establishment, who have said, yes, the Messiah is here. They should have. But they were blind. So let's go back to Romans 1 now. <clears throat> Romans 1, concerning his, in verse 3, concerning his, son Jesus, our Lord, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, according to the promise, 
what we just read in 2 Samuel 7, verse, verses 12 to 13. And you read Matthew 1, and what do you see? The genealogy. You know, you see all the begets this person, begets this, begets this, begets this, begets, 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 and it all leads to Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. The seed. The seed. That was in the loins of David. You see? Men. Men. Hear my words. Have regard for your seed. Married, you know, single, I could care less. Have regard for your seed. Because you don't know who is in your loins. You don't know the actions that are in your loins. You say, what do you mean? Don't forget, tithes were being made in the loins of Abraham before, before a person was born. You have to think differently. Don't think carnally. You have to think eternally. The lineage is in your loins and a lineage that is given to Jesus Christ. Legacy, not your legacy, the legacy of Jesus Christ our Lord. The next generation of righteousness. You know, the Lord could tell you, you know, you hear me say we're in the last days, we're in the last days because I, you know, We're very, very, we're a last day's church. A last day's church. But don't forget, the Lord can tarry. The Lord says, you know, pray that your, the, your, your plight not be in the winter. The Lord can tarry. You know, occupy until He comes. That being the case, understanding that and knowing that, is to live eternally minded. Men, I love you. Have regard for your seed. And so let's let's look at here in verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power. This word for power is dunamis. It's where we also get the word dynamite. Power. This is what a lot of people in the faith, they, they're Christians, but they have no power. Just like Simon, what we studied in the book of Acts. Remember Simon? He believed Jesus Christ. He was with the fellowship of believers. You could, from the outside looking in, you could say, look, he's a Christian. He's a believer. Except the Holy Spirit bypassed him. The Holy Spirit skipped over him. He had no power. Yeah, he believed. He believed Jesus Christ. He said, wow, praise the Lord. But there's another step. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. People say, oh, you can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You can't believe in Jesus Christ without the Spirit. Look at Simon. He believed in Jesus Christ. Where was the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit skipped over him because his heart was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the danger of carnality. Regarding uh, iniquity in your heart. And people try to live the Christian life with no power. You're going to fail. You're going to get tired. Have you ever talked to Christians who are exhausted? Exhausted. I mean, to live the Christian life without the Helper, without the Holy Spirit, I would say it's impossible. It's religion. That's what it is. It's religion. No, where's the power? That's relationship. When a servant says, you know, Master, I love you. I want to stay with you. 
And the master says, I love you too. That's, you know, here. Your home, my home is your home. The power, which we've seen in the book of Acts. And now we're going to see writers in the epistles mention the power of the Holy Spirit, bring up the power of the Holy Spirit, because you know why? Either people forget, or maybe they're like more Simons. How the Holy Spirit, it's like, you know, to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the Holy Spirit can you turn the other cheek. Only by the Holy Spirit can you love your enemies, to love those who hate you. Only by the Holy Spirit. And remember, Scripture is discerned by the Holy Spirit. He helps you understand. He helps you in all aspects of our lives. When you apply the Word of God in your life, that's power. Dunamis power. People don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, so they fake it. You know, they speak in tongues. You ever, you know, you go into a fellowship, they start start speaking in tongues. It's no language. They're just start, it's gibberish. They speak in tongues. There's no interpretation. So it, already it's unbiblical. They just start speaking in tongues and then they go out and they do their crack. You know, that sometimes that very night, they go out and they're at the strip clubs. They're getting high, getting drunk, beating on their wives. Out with girlfriend number two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, eight, nine, ten. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's blasphemous. You can't fake it with the Lord. You can't fake it with man. You can't fake it with the Lord. Just like Simon tried to fake it. But he couldn't fake it with the Lord and he couldn't fake it with Peter. Peter came into town. He was like, hey, what's up? What's this? And he rebuked him right there. You need to repent, he told him. What does that say? Once saved, always saved. Simon believed. And Peter tells him to repent. I thought once saved, always saved was right. No, it's not right. You need to repent. Look at Revelation 2 and 3. How the Lord says, you know, this church, you have this, I love this, I love this, but this I have against you. Repent. To Christians, to churches. And so look what happens here in verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power, dunamis power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So verse 3, according to the flesh. Verse 4, according to the spirit. Our Lord himself exemplifies this beautiful concept. I don't know how else to say it. I hate saying concept. But what about your life according to the flesh and then also your life? In the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the Spirit. You say, I don't get it. I don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, you know what? Pray. You might have to repent. Your heart needs to be right with the Lord. No matter what, your heart needs to be right with the Lord. And pray to the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the empowering of the Christian. Now, you know, you have pastors, very well-educated people, educated in the flesh. It's, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's also blasphemous. You will not find an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. You will not. You, I've searched the scriptures. You will not find an expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. On the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no expiration date. Now, there is a time when the Holy Spirit will be lifted. In the last days, the restrainer, he who now restrains, will be lifted. 
But you know who has the power of the Holy Spirit when that happens? Wise virgins. Wise virgins who've been storing oil. Be very generous with the gifts. Be very generous with the love of God. And, you know, be very generous. But when it comes to the oil, be very, very selfish because that's for you. That's for your lamp. Be very selfish. There's no expiration date on the power of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is lifted, the ones who have uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, oil in their lamps for the darkness awaiting the bridegroom, is the wise virgin. Not the foolish virgin. They run out. They have it too, but they run out. The wise virgin. And so look what happens here in verse 5. Through him... Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Just like Brother James writes that the two are inseparable. Faith and works are inseparable. Faith and obedience. Belief and obedience. Completely and totally inseparable. You can't say, I have the gift of works and I have the gift of faith because the two are inseparable. And so he says, among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, Paul says that he's called. Here in verse 6, Paul says, you know, you also are called of Jesus Christ. What a strong encouragement for the church, for this young, young, young church. Wow, Paul is called, and I'm called too. Wow, praise the Lord. Now, if you look at verse 5 and 6 together, he says, through him we, and in verse 6 he says, among whom you also. You have to make the distinction of these two camps. We, when he says through whom we, and in verse 6, among whom you also. You must make this distinction. When he says here through through him we, this is around, you know, the book of Romans. It was it was done in, in about 57 AD, you know, give or take a couple years, which, you know, you look at the map, you look at, or not the map, well, you look at the, the timelines. It places us around Acts 20. So around Acts 20, remember in Acts 20, and we looked at the very, very special inner circle of Paul, the ministry team of Paul when he was you know, teaching all night, the guy fell out of the window. And then the ministry team of Tom when he had the, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of Paul, when he had the, uh, 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 the, the, the Miletus meeting, teaching the elders. You know, that was one group of church leadership. But who was the entourage that was with the, the first part of the first half of, of uh, 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 Acts chapter 20? Very special inner circle of people. Very, very special. That's where one of the guys fell out of the room. Uh, very special. Eutychus fell out of the window. And so in verse 5, when it says, through him we, you look at the map, you look at the timelines, it's like, wait a second. This is his inner circle. And in verse 6, he says, among whom you also. And I want you to make a distinction. And I'll bring this up in our study through the epistles. Because I'll tell you a mistake that a lot of Christians make. A mistake. They, When Paul writes about we, they make the assumption that it includes them. Now, it's not to say that they are excluded. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to say like they are just completely closed off. But when Paul says we, or when Peter says we, the large majority of times, it's written about an inner circle. 
mature Christians. The inner circle, Paul's inner circle, mature Christians. Yes, there was ministries to believers, ministries to the church at large. But it was a little different with the inner circle. It was a little different at the Miletus meeting with the elders. It's a little different what Paul writes to Timothy, what Paul writes to uh, uh, Titus. It's a little different. Why? Because it's church leadership. Pastors, elders, Bible teachers, youth leaders, people in ministry positions. Shepherd capacity. It's not to say that, you know, like in verse 5 when he says, through him we, and then in verse 6 it says you also. It's not to say that, oh, you're, you know, you also, you're closed off to this. I'll equate it to a person in, you know, like uh, no, no longer in school. Like say, for example, you want to be a brain, say you're like in fifth grade and you want to be a neurosurgeon. And you're actually talking to a neurosurgeon. And the neurosurgeon is encouraging you. And saying, hey, you know, don't skip school, don't do drugs, you know, don't do your alcohol, you know, don't go off and do all kinds of craziness. You need to hit the books, you need to stay in school, you need to learn. And you're talking to a brain surgeon, somebody who's done it, been there, done that, you know, everything, done that, everything. He's a brain surgeon, a neurosurgeon operating on brains. It's to understand that, you know, it's not to say that the fifth grader can't be a neurosurgeon, but the fifth grader has to, you know, finish elementary school, finish intermediate school, finish high school, go to college, you know, get the degree, get the master's with doctorate, all these things, and move on to become a neurosurgeon. So it's not to say like, you know, the neurosurgeon is, you know, is looking down on the fifth grader. But it's to make this distinction and understanding because a lot of people make this mistake. They say, oh, Paul says that, you know, we have this, so therefore I have this. Wait a second. You're not a neurosurgeon yet. You need to grow and matriculate. It's not to say that you don't have the promises of God. The promises of God, they're, they're for everybody who believes, whosoever believes. But wait a second. When we make this understanding, this distinction, when Paul says we the majority of times, and Peter too, the majority of times, it's a special inner circle of people, ministry leaders, prophets, evangelists, Paul, teachers. It's not to say that, you know, to look down on the you, but to understand that there's a growth that needs to happen. And it's not to suggest that you cannot lean on the Lord's promises as surely as the Lord lives. Lean on His promises. You can, certainly. But where a lot of Christians get into trouble is they say, oh yeah, God is love, so you know what? These promises are for me, but I'm going to go to my crack pipe. These promises are me. The promises of God are for me, but I'm also going to beat on my wife, cheat on my wife. I'm also going to have boyfriend number five, girlfriend number ten, whatever. No, that's hypocrisy. That's carnality, which is that war with the flesh. You see, we have to make these distinctions. I mean, I say you have to, but that's your choice. I encourage you. I urge you. I admonish you. Make these distinctions. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring them up just like we're doing right here. Verse 7. 
to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Hagios, saints, Hagios. It's consecrated and holy. That's why you hear me say the Pope needs to read a Bible. I am thoroughly convinced that the Pope has not read his Bible. If he's read his Bible, he has head knowledge, but he hasn't applied his Bible. Why? Because you look in Roman Catholicism, the process for sainthood, all these steps, this, that, you know, whatever, and they had to vote. It's a government. It's religion. You know, the tradition of men. You read the Bible, boom, saint. You believe in Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord, you're a saint. Called of Jesus Christ? Beloved of God, called to be saints, Hagios. Consecrated and holy. And the church of Rome, it's comprised of both Jew and Gentile. It's, there's double exhortations too, because when Paul writes, sometimes he'll say, you know, for you Jews, for you who are under the law. And then he'll write, you know, for you Gentiles now. This is like a conglomeration of the two camps, both Jew and Gentile, as in Christ Jesus. Remember, when we get to our study in Ephesians, we're going to see in Christ there's no male, female, slave, free, it doesn't matter. Equality in Christ. Not the social gospel, but there's equality in Christ. Understanding the hierarchy. Different jobs, different duties, different responsibilities. It's really quite brilliant what Paul writes. I say quite brilliant as you know, giving accolades to Paul, but I'm really praising the Lord. What the Lord has done in Paul and through Paul. Because don't forget, there's this the Pharisees who were believers in Jerusalem, and they went out, they took it upon themselves to go out and to spread this new idea that in order to be saved you had to be circumcised and it touched into romans it touched touched into the church in rome and so paul has to set the record straight and explain the law how the law brings death and we're going to study that hardcore in future chapters and so <clears throat> He says this in verse 7, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this says a lot about Paul's intimacy with the Lord. I could understand if he's saying, Hey guys, grace to you and peace from me. Hey God, hey guys, uh, grace to you and peace from us, this little entourage. Grace to you and peace to you from us. It says a lot about Paul's intimacy with the Lord because he says, Grace to you and peace. Not from him. Not from his entourage. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it says a lot about Paul's intimacy. <laughs> his intimacy, his oneness with the Lord. Remember the, um, the intimacy that Moses has with the Lord? And the Lord says, I speak, Moses and I, you speak like we're friends? I mean, we are friends, he says, we speak. I love how the Lord, you know, when he's, we're going to study that when we get into like Deuteronomy and even Numbers. How the Lord says, I speak to Moses as a friend. And understanding in Hebrews that Moses was a servant in the house of God. There's that concept of servants to friend. Remember Jesus Christ, he tells the disciples, you guys are servants. But then you keep reading, he says, I don't call you servants anymore. You're also friends. I call you my friends. Because a servant wonders what the master desires. You know, if you're a servant and you have a new master, it's like, okay, uh, uh, it's eight o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, how does how does my master like his coffee? You know, you give him a cup of coffee. He says, oh, I don't like this. So you have to learn. And then in the course of time, you realize, oh, this is how my master likes his coffee. This is how my master likes to, you know, read the newspaper. This is how my master likes his cushions fluffed. You know, this is how my master likes his uh, his meals prepared. This is how my master likes the, the, the his house set up, his house clean. This is how my master likes whatever. 
when you're a servant learning these things. And when the Lord says, Moses is my friend, we speak like we're friends. Understanding that in Hebrews, you know, we, we learn that Moses was a servant in the house of God. And Jesus Christ tells the disciples, you guys are servants, you keep reading. He says, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Because a friend doesn't wonder what the master is doing. A friend knows how the master, you know, to, to, to paint this idea, to paint this picture of this concept. The friend knows how the master likes his coffee. I don't have to wonder. You know, oh, it's 8.30 in the morning. Okay, my master's going to come down and, you know, here's his copy, coffee exactly the way he likes it. And that's what Jesus Christ says. I don't call you servants anymore. You're my friends. You don't wonder because your heart is closely aligned to mine. You're long-suffering. Praise the Lord. He is long-suffering too. You ever, are you long-suffering for non-believers? People who were they're going to burn in hell without Jesus Christ? Is your mindset like, good, you know, good, these evil, wicked people, you know, they're predestined to hell, good. Or is your mindset like you're weeping in your heart, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish? Which is it? Ask it of yourself. That's a hardcore question. Because it reveals a lot about your heart and your nature compared to that of our Lord. If your heart is long-suffering for the lost, the wicked, the ones who want to hurt you, the ones who want to kill you, the ones who hate you, the ones who hate you with a passion, and your heart is long-suffering for them, praise be to the Lord. That's the heart of our Lord. That's the heart of God. It says a lot about Paul's intimacy with the Lord. Verse 7, the end here. Look at verse 8. First, <clears throat> he says this in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Now, remember here how Paul thought he was serving God before when he was religious. He thought he was serving God when he understood the letter of the law. Oh, these Christians, I'm going to kill them. These Christians, I'm going to beat them. I'm going to have them in prison. I'm going to have them captured. And I'm going to send, have them arrested. I'm going to send them to prison, beat them. And, you know, when it comes time, when the vote is coming for, do we let them live or do we let them die? I'm going to vote death. We studied that when, Paul's, when Paul gave his testimony. And he thought he was serving God. It was the letter of the law. He was religious. But now what's different is that now it's personal, the spirit of the law. Now he understands that Moses wrote about Jesus Christ. Now he understands the law, the spirit of the law, how it all points to Jesus Christ. And with this understanding of the law, remember, a Pharisee, a Pharisee is a student of Gamaliel. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this is... Very personal to him, his relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I think this is pretty cool because it's like, you know, you, you look at, 
in the time frame around Acts 20, maybe a couple chapters before, and you look at the buildup of, you know, look at the, uh, 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 what was coming up against Paul and the disciples, Christians being beaten. Remember the home invasion that we studied? When they broke into the Christian home? Crispus broke into his home, captured him. A lot of anger towards Christian Christians from both Jew and Gentile. Rome is at a time period where the cost of being a Christian was getting amped up. A very high price to pay for being a Christian. But Paul says, you know what? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It doesn't say, you know, oh yeah, people hate you. You know, I, I was in uh, Macedonia and I heard people talk about how much they hate you in Rome. You know, flip the coin. You know, even though people hate you, praise the Lord that they hate you. I mean, you, you, it sounds terrible to say it that way. But why do they hate you? Do they hate you because you stand for righteousness? Do they hate you? I mean, if they hate you because you're a jerk, then you know what? You know, I'd hate you. I wouldn't hate you, but like, <laughs> would have words too. Like, hey, don't be a jerk. But if somebody hates you because of Jesus Christ and you're standing firm in the Lord, wow, you know, then you can rejoice just like Peter said, to be re to rejoice because you're counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus Christ. And Paul doesn't say, you know, oh yeah, they're speaking bad about you. They're, they're speaking about your faith. Look, look how strong your faith is. Your faith is so strong. Your faith is so palpable that it's, it's spreading. Something's happening in Rome. And he says this, that without, uh, 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 in verse 9, for, with, for, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now, something I have to say too, you hear Paul speak. I mean, we, we've studied the book of Acts. We see the Paul on the Damascus road. You see his belief in Jesus. You see his acts, you see his deeds, you see the steps of his feet, the workers of his hands. You hear him explain his heart when he was giving his testimony. But now we get a little deeper picture of his letters. You see a little bit deeper into the heart of Paul. And you're going to read more and like, wow, this is like the heart of Jesus. You know how his, his intimacy with the Lord is so palpable. I mean, for Paul to write a letter to the church in Rome. And you know how like the outpouring, you know, not what goes, what, not, what, it's not what goes in a man which makes him evil, but what comes out because it's the outpouring of his heart. But the same could be said of goodness and of righteousness. What is it that emanates from your heart? What is it that comes out of your mouth? Is it praise or is it wickedness? If it's wickedness, well, you know what? You have some work to do to apply and yield to the Word of God and His Holy Spirit. But if it's praise and worship that comes out of your mouth, it says a lot about your heart. And what about Paul? Instead of coming out of his mouth, it goes down his arm and to his fingers, holding a pen and then writing on parchment. And for his heart to be so in tune with the Lord that the Lord says, you know what? 
this is my word. Remember, the book of Romans, it's a letter to the church. 1 Corinthians, a letter to the church. 2 Corinthians, a letter to the church. How closely in tune is Paul's heart for the Lord to say, this is my word. Paul's heart is my heart. This is my word. And the word became flesh. For the Lord to say, this is me. Remember, the Lord says, abide in me and I in you. All these titans of the faith that we have. It's not to elevate the man. But to elevate Christ in the man. To elevate Christ in the woman. You see? When the Lord says, abide in me and I in you. It's deep. But applicationally, wow. For the Lord to say of Paul, wow, this is my word. Paul, you're straight up. You know, like Moses wrote about me. When Jesus Christ said that at the Pharisees, what could Jesus Christ say today? Paul wrote about me. Peter, Jude, they wrote about me. What about you? Can you put your name? What would Jesus say of you? This guy, this gal speaks about me. This guy, this gal writes about me. What can be said of you? Remember my challenge? To be a vessel? You hear me give these exhortations and these strong urgings to yield to Jesus Christ, to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's not for the sake of, you know, so you can be a cool guy, a cool gal. No. It's for your heart to be very, very closely aligned with Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus Christ says, this is my heart. That's my desire for you. You know why? Because that's my job. That's what I was called to do. That's what my master, capital M, that's what my master wants me to do. And tell you these things. And teach you these things. These deep, deep, deep concepts. Not only to make you right with Him, but so that you abide in Him and He in you. Your heart and His heart become one. And for the glory of our Lord. All for His glory. This is a different animal. This is a different bear. Paul, Peter, James, John. Different. He says this in verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, nonstop, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Whoa. You know, you think about Paul's intimacy with the Lord. Look at his heart already. We've seen it. We've seen his hands. We've seen his feet. We've seen the steps of his feet. We've seen his speech. We've seen the, the power of the Holy Spirit, but now we're reading his letters. It's like, whoa, this is a different guy. Like this, this guy used to beat up Christians? This guy used to have them arrested, beaten, and even killed, imprisoned? This guy? He's different. Separated. Just like the Lord says through Moses to Pharaoh, I'm making a difference between your people and my people. The Lord had, has made a difference with Paul. 
formerly Saul. The Lord is making a difference. What about you? What about you, my friend? Could somebody look at your life and look in the world and see no difference? Or could somebody look at you, look at the world and be like, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this girl. All these girls I know, they do this, but this one girl, there's something different about her. All these guys I know, they do this, they do that, they speak this way, but there's something different about this guy. He's not like the average bear. She's not like the average bear. What is it? This is consecration, my friend. This is holiness. This is being set apart for the Lord as his vessel. He says this in verse 10. Remember his prayers without ceasing. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 10. Making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So there's no record of Paul being in Rome, you know, before he was uh, uh, imprisoned or under house arrest, what we studied in the book of Acts. No indication that Paul was in Rome. And yet, he's still making requests known to God. Lord, you know, here I am in Macedonia. Rome is just a little bit away. Lord, can you send me there? Lord, can I go there? Lord, here I am in Philippi. Rome is just up here. Is there a way I can get there, Lord? If it's your will, can I get there? I want to see these Christians. I've heard about this church. They're a young church. Lord, can we go there? That's what's so beautiful about Paul. And you see little little hints about the heart of Paul. Remember when they were on their boat journey and, you know, he walked it? He tells everybody on the boat, okay, you guys go over here. I'll meet you in the next town over. And then he walked it. I wonder what he was, what was happening there. Just his own intimacy with the Lord. Yeah, he's, he loves the brethren. He loves the, the, the fellowship of the saints. But in his own intimacy with the Lord. And remember what was revealed to him. He says the whole, the whole time the Holy Spirit's been uh, uh, witnessing that you know chains and, and, and uh, uh, tribulation await me. The Holy Spirit has been indicating this. Look at his intimacy he has with the Lord. Remember when Paul was, you know, he was uh, uh, put in the barracks? And look at all the people. The religious leaders were in one part. The, you know, the uh, centurion was in another part. You know, not the centurion, but the, the captain, uh, you know, in, in another area. Or like, you know, I equate him to like a, a, a colonel. He's in another area. But where is the Lord? Remember the red letters? The Lord is with Paul. Intimacy, my friend. Let me tell you something that breaks intimacy with the Lord. Carnality, hypocrisy, and bad doctrine. These three things break intimacy with the Lord. You hear me speak about, you know, sometimes you hear me speak about crazy pastors, crazy elders because of their doctrine. They go grave soaking, they, they, Pensacola, you know, holy laughter, all kinds of craziness. 
You say, wow, that's so mean-spirited. How could you say, you know, how dare you speak against the, the, Lord, the, the Lord's anointed? That's not, <laughs> that's not an anointing of the Lord. That's crazy town. That's anointing of the flesh. Nothing holy about it whatsoever. It's not to be mean-spirited. It's because bad doctrine is a step in the wrong direction. Remember, my goal, my desire, my charge by my master is for your heart to be one with Christ. That's my charge. That's my duty. That's my task. That's my desire. When, once that happens, I'm out. Once that happens, I'm done. You know, it, it. you have intimacy with Jesus Christ, you in your own walk with Him. And so you hear me talk about crazy doctrine, crazy pastors who align with crazy doctrine. It's because crazy doctrine is, you know, it, it breaks away that intimacy. It's a tear in intimacy. It's a gap. It creates a gap between your intimacy with Jesus Christ. You hear me speak against carnality? Sometimes it's like, whoa, I can't believe he said it like that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he's going there. You know why? Because carnality creates a gap in your intimacy with Jesus Christ. My desire is for your heart to be pressed against the Lord's. That's my desire. That's my task by my master. And bad doctrine creates a gap. I don't want the gap. Bad doctrine creates a gap. Carnality creates a gap. Hypocrisy creates a gap. So what, if, what, what happens if you have a trifecta? Triple whammy. Bad doctrine, you're carnal, and you're a hypocrite. Look at that gap between your heart and the heart of our Lord. Look at that gap. Wide is that gap. And wide is the way that leads to perdition. No, close the gap. Sound doctrine? Get sound doctrine. You have, a, you have a pastor or a teacher who says it's okay to go, go grave soaking? That's crazy town. Get out of crazy town. Get sound doctrine. The full counsel of the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. You have issues with carnality? You say, oh, I like my crack. I like my alcohol. I like my sex. I like this. I like being a tax cheat. Well, you know what? Cut it out. Go and sin no more. Repent. Oh, I repented when I was 10 years old. How old are you now? 30. Okay, repent now. Praise the Lord that you, you know, you did the altar call at age 10. Praise be to the Lord. But you know what? Stay clean. How many times do you take a shower? You know, you take a shower daily, sometimes several times in a day. Depending on, you know, what you work, what you do for work or, you know, whatever, how stinky you get. What about in the, in the spirit? What about how stinky you get without a shower? You need to repent. Be bathed in the word of God. You read the Bible, you turn the page, it's like, whoa, this is hardcore. One page, you're blessed of the Lord, you turn the page and it's like a knife in your heart. Praise be to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit making a change in your life, desiring to make a change in your life. At that point, when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you have a choice to make. 
Are you going to repent or continue in your way? Repent and change or, you know, don't repent and don't change. I don't want the gap, the gap between you and Jesus Christ, your heart and his heart. I want his heart to engulf yours and your heart to become his. As a sheepdog, that's my task. Given to me by my master. And his name is Jesus. Look at the heart of Paul here. When he says, I've been you know, praying, making my request known. He says in verse 11, for I long to see you. Wow, what a different guy. The group of Christians that in his former ways he would have killed, had imprisoned. But he says, I long to see you. That I may impart to you, that I may give or uh, 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 share or give to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that you may be steadfast and certain. Remember, baby Christians, very young Christians, a brand new church. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You hear me mention about the ministry of Pew Christians? the ministry of lambs, the ministry of sheep. What an encouragement it is, you know, to the ministry of the flock as encouragement to overseers. You see, it's, you see the manifold grace of God, but you see the reciprocal ministry. Reciprocity of love. That's what we see here, what Paul writes about. And he says this in verse 13. He says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan... Remember, the church, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. I love this, until now. Why? Because he's sending a letter. Like, you know, he says that in, 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 in verse 11, I long to see you. He says in verse 10, that in verse 9, that he's always praying without ceasing. In verse 10, he says that, that I, I want to come to you guys. I want to see you guys. But now he says he was hindered. In verse 13, he was hindered until now. You know why? Because he's writing a letter. He's writing a letter. Lord, can I go to Rome? Lord, if there's a way, can I go to Rome? And in the course of time, well, it's not, it's not, it's not looking like I'm going to get to Rome. <laughs> so I'm going to write a letter to these beautiful, beautiful people. I'm going to write a letter to them that I may uh, impart some spiritual gift, that I may share with them your word, Lord, your truth. He says in verse 13, that I might, ha that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. See, the, his labors are bearing fruit. Fruit. What about your labors? What about your fruit? A lot of times people say, oh, look, I, I, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I have 100 people in my church. I have 1,000 people in my church. Look at the fruit. That's not fruit. People is not fruit. Those are trees. But let me tell you something. Better is one tree with immense fruit than 1,000 trees with no fruit. People think fruit is people. Fruit is not people. What about your fruit? And I don't say that in a judgmental way. But I want you to think differently. 
As you purpose in your hearts to move on to perfection, I want you to think differently. What's better? A hundred trees? I mean, say for example, if you're a farmer. You're a farmer and you know you have your trees. What's better? A hundred trees? You're like, wow, look, I have a hundred trees. Wow, this is awesome. But what happens when there's no fruit? Versus what if you have two trees where you can't even see the leaves. It's just like all these lemons all over. Apples, oranges. What's better? Fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit. He says this in verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. Barbarians here is foreigners or natives. We see a picture of the barbarians as natives. Same, same uh, uh, natives. And like we see that in, in, our, in our chapter last week, in our study last week in chapter 28 of Acts, uh, uh, the, the natives on the island of Malta. Remember when they started the fire, the shipwreck? They started the fire and uh, 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 Paul got bit by a snake. You see? And then all of a, so all of a sudden here, Paul says, I'm, I'm in debt to these guys. I'm a debtor. I'm indebted. To barbarians, to, to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. Whoa, that's hardcore. You hear people say, I don't owe you anything. You know, why are you coming at me like that? I don't owe you a thing. I don't owe you anything. And Paul, what he's saying, he says, I'm in debt. I owe these people. I owe the wise and I also owe the fools, the unintelligent, the sensual and the unwise. I'm in debt to them. It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. Brother Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean you owe these people? What do you mean you're in debt to them? He says this in verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Whoa. I'm not there physically. But via his letters, via his letter, I'm going to teach you. That's what he's saying here. I've prayed to the Lord, Lord, can I go to Rome? Can I go to Rome? Is there a way? I know you want me to do this, but is there a way? Can we get? Can we find a way? I long to see them. And it's not looking like I'm going to get there, Lord. And praise be to the Lord, you know what? Hey, I'm going to bust out this parchment. I'm going to bust out my pen. And I'm going to start writing a letter. You see? And then look what happens. He says, I'm in debt. I mean that I owe the wise and the unwise. And what does he owe? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. It is the dunamis, he says here, of God. The dunamis power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, believe to have faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was, oh, God predestines people to hell. No, he doesn't. No, he do if he did, why would he be long-suffering? You see? People say, oh, yeah, God, you know, God predestines people to hell. No, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He says here, for everyone who believes. It's entirely supernatural. The gospel of Christ is the power of God into salvation for everyone who Whosoever believes. Whosoever. 
there's something new going. It's not really new. Neo-Calvinism. Reformed theology. Calvinism. God predestines people to hell. God predestines people to heaven. And we're going to touch that hardcore in the book of Romans as we progress in our study about predestination. We're going to hit it hard. This concept of, yeah, God predestines people to hell and God predestines people to heaven and Jesus died on the cross, but it was only in a saving way for these people who were predestined. Crazy town. Crazy town. Oh, once saved, always saved. You know, you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. People are so ingrained in a doctrine that teaches once saved, always saved, that they are now beginning to say that you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. That is what's happening now in big churches. You know, listen to our study. We have it on the podcast. We have a study on, you know, uh, don't, do not take the mark of the beast. And you hear, you hear, quote, you hear quotes from a very well-known pastor, very well-known so-called expositor of the Bible who says you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. You know how evil that is? Do not take the mark of the beast. Never take the mark of the beast. I don't care what Joe Schmo tells you. Never take the mark of the beast. Oh, but this guy has a doctorate in theology. He's a pastor. He has a lot of, you know, a, a, a lot of fruit. Well, there's such a thing as bad fruit. People are so ingrained in a doctrine that does not align with Scripture. And in so doing, they're led astray to think that it's okay to take the mark of the beast. It's not okay to take the mark. It's everyone who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Believe in Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's supernatural. Entirely supernatural. For in it, the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I love that so much. From faith to faith. You know why? Look at what a fire does. Look at what a fire does. You know how many fires you can start with just one little campfire? I mean, if you're on campground, you can't start, you know, you can't start your fire. Who is the one who has a little fire in his camp? That little fire in the camp can start another fire. Look at candles. You take a thousand people with candles that are not lit. And you're just one person and your candle is lit. You know, you can start, you can, you know, use your flame to ignite another flame. And on down the line, you go to the next person, the next person, the next person. And then, you know, some of the ones who you lit their candles, all of a sudden they go and light other people's candles. That's what's said here. From faith to faith. That's what's so beautiful, beautiful about a heart that's on fire for the Lord. Straight up on fire for the Lord. He says, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just. Translates as the just, the innocent, the righteous, the holy, in character and in act. The just. No carnality, no hypocrisy, no bad doctrine. All those three, carnality, hypocrisy, and bad doctrine, you know what that is? Strange fire. Strange fire. You hear me talk about faith, uh, from faith to faith, and, and I equate it to a flame, a fire. 
Well, you know what strange fire is? Carnality, hypocrisy, and bad doctrine. Look at what the Lord did with strange fire. The sons of Aaron in our study in Leviticus. He killed them. And I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like, well, you know, like, am I going to die? No, have reverence for the Lord and His Word. Have reverence. Don't offer Him strange fire. Do everything in obedience. Nothing crazy. Your pastor says, let's go grave soaking. Get a new pastor. That's crazy town. You know, hit the eject button. Get out of crazy town. Go to a place where there's green pastures and still waters. Because you need to learn. You need to be trained. You need to be taught. You need to be equipped. Look at Paul. He's equipped. He has been equipped. And now he's equipping. Used of the Lord. A vessel of the Lord. He says this. I, you know, I think this is kind of humorous too. And then, you know, we're going to talk on some touchy subjects here. He talked in verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed. And I mean, personally, I think it's kind of humorous, not the wrath of God, but I think it's very humorous in terms of what the so-called experts say, because they say, you know, tell the good news, preach Jesus Christ, tell people about Jesus Christ, tell people about God's love, but do it nicely. Don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about, you know, the last days. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about... You can, it's like they turn it into a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch. Just as is written here in verse 16, it is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. The dunamis power. It's supernatural. For everyone, 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 whosoever, whosoever, whosoever believes. Imagine if Paul took the advice of, you know, these so-called expert evangelists today. Oh, Paul, share the good news, but don't talk about judgment. Paul, share the good news, but don't talk about God's wrath. Don't hurt, hurt people's little feelers. When you share the good news and you share Jesus Christ and you share righteousness and you stand in righteousness, the world will hate you. It's a gimme. The world will hate you. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed. If Paul listened to the experts, Paul, don't, you know, share the good news, but don't talk about wrath. Don't talk about judgment. It's a sales pitch. Converts. But the Lord says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And you have baby Christians here. Maybe visitors of, you know, uh, people in Rome who, who says, okay, you know, my uncle, my aunt, my son, my whatever, went to Jerusalem to pay homage to the Lord in obedience to the, to the law. And now they're coming back and they're Christians? Like, what in the world? What happened? What is this? What's, what's going on with this Christian business? This Christianity, people of the way. The, the word Christian wasn't around then. They called them people of the way. What is this? They're called the way? What is the way? What? I've never heard of the way before. What in the world is the way? You know, uncle, whoever. He went to Jerusalem. Next thing I know, he comes back totally different. What? What is this? And then they're meeting at this guy's house. What's that all about? I'm going to go check it out. So they go. What is this? Who is this Jesus? So it's brand new. 
Still old in terms of the promises of the Lord, what we looked at in verse 4. Or, or verse um, verse 4. Or uh, verse 2, I meant. Verse 2. Still old concept, old promises and the fulfillment. It's all new. Brand new church. Young believers. A church of little lambs. No elders. No pastors. But believers. And Paul says, you know what? Okay. I can't come to you guys. But I'm going to be with you vicariously through my letter. And in my letter, verse 15, I'm, gonna pre- I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to give you the gospel. And then he says this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Straight up, he goes for the jugular. The wrath of God is revealed. Imagine all the, all the evangelists, the professional evangelists, so to speak, of our age. Oh yeah, talk about God's love. Bring people to Christ, but don't talk about judgment. Don't talk about wrath. What does Paul do? He bucks the system. Says, you know what? Out of here with that garbage. I'm going to give you the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look what happens here in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So you hear me say, I think it's kind of humorous. Not the humorous, what he's talking about, the wrath. I'm talking about humorous, like in terms of Paul bucking the system. Because let me tell you something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. But you know what else? The gospel of Jesus Christ ceases to be good news if you exclude judgment, if you exclude wrath. It ceases to be good news. Say, well, that's a hardcore statement. What do you mean? You talk to a non-believer about salvation. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He loves you. I'll get out of me with that mess. I don't want to hear that. Well, let me tell you about salvation. Why do we need salvation? Oh, I've been trained. I can't talk to you about judgment. I can't talk to you about wrath. And you're talking to somebody. What do I need to be saved from? Um, hmm, let me think about that. I don't know. You see? The gospel ceases to be good news when you exclude judgment and wrath. Because a non-believer, even a carnal Christian who needs to repent and return to the Lord, a carnal former believer, needs to understand that God's judgment, God's wrath, number one, it's coming. But then number two, what we read here, wrath is already here. God's wrath is coming in terms of prophetic events, God's wrath that befalls the earth. But God's wrath is already here because it falls on individuals and that's what Paul is going to explain. So you talk to a non-believer. You need to be saved. You need Jesus Christ. What do I need to be saved from? Oh, God loves you. I need to be saved from that? That sounds like counterintuitive. That sounds opposite. Sounds like an oxymoron. I need to be saved from God's love? So you want me to hate God? You know, what is it, Christian? Oh, uh, my my pastor told me I can't talk about judgment. I can't talk about wrath. All I got to do is talk about God's love. How could God love me? Look, my, my, my mom's alcoholic. My dad's a crackhead. I only met him once. He left my home. My mom has this boyfriend that beats on her. You know, he beats on me too. Look at this black guy. I got it from him last night. Look, I got my crack over here. I'm gonna go do some crack. You wanna get high with me? 
oh, I got girlfriend number 20 over here on my arm. She gets high. You know, I use her. She supplies me. She goes and gets a crack, and then she comes back and she gives it to me. You're, you're going to talk to me about God's love? I got it pretty good over here. You're going to talk to me about God's love? If God is real, how come this how come this happened to me? How come this is like this? Christian. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, can never exclude judgment and never exclude wrath. Because people who die without Jesus Christ will burn in hell. You tell that to a person. Why do I need to receive Jesus Christ? You need to be saved. From what? What do I need to be saved from? Hell, my friend. God loves you. You need to be saved from wrath. Saved from judgment. Because it's coming. And you know what? Let me tell you something else. God's wrath is already here because it falls on individuals. What? What are you talking about? You know, I don't believe that. That's crazy. Get out of my face. I'm out of here. And then they walk away. Well, you know what? If they walk away, number one, the seed has been planted. Number two, you have been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Imagine Paul if he takes the advice of these so-called experts. Paul says, yeah, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And you know what? Uh, God loves you. It's true that God loves you. But God sent His Son into the world that the, that the world would be saved through Him. Not, that the, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus would be saved. Saved from what? If I can't talk about judgment, if I can't talk about wrath, if I can only talk about God's love, saved from what? Why in the world do I need salvation? Because judgment is coming. Because God's wrath is coming. And God's wrath is already here. What do you mean? What do you mean God's wrath? Paul's going to explain God's wrath on individuals. Buckle your seatbelts because this is hardcore. He says this in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Suppression of the truth. People get mad at you when you stand for righteousness. When you're, you know, Moses says, be holy for the Lord is holy. Peter says, be holy for the Lord is holy. And you say, okay, these beautiful men say, be holy. I'm going to be holy. I'm going to stand for righteousness. I'm going to stand on the rock of salvation. And you go out into the world and people hate you. Boom, brick in the face. People hate you. Oh yeah, let's have this get together. You can come over, but don't talk to me about that mess. Don't bring that mess up in here. Don't talk to me about Jesus Christ. Don't talk to me about my alcoholism. Don't talk to me about my crack pipe. Don't talk to me about my you know sexual adventures. Don't talk to me about my strip club. Don't talk to me about my meth. Don't talk to me about I'm a tax cheat. Don't talk to me about how you know I'm a hypocrite here. Don't judge me lest you be judged. And all you're doing is standing for righteousness. And they tell me, yeah, I'll hang out with you, but don't bring that, don't bring that in my face. You know what they're doing? They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And you know what the Bible teaches us? The wrath of God is revealed. Whoa. 
we go further. So they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may, what may be known of God is manifest in them, is evident in them. For God has shown it to them. I have to tell you something. A lot of atheists, and you know, I've been having conversations of late with atheists. And to my surprise, a lot of atheists know the Bible. More so than pastors, more so than elders. So if you're going to engage culture, my friend, my beautiful, beautiful friend in Christ, my brother, my sister in Christ, if you're going to engage culture, you need to be well equipped. <laughs> you need to be well equipped. Go to real boot camp. You need to learn. You need to understand. You need to be trained. You need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Because atheists, they know their Bibles more than pastors, more than elders. Sadly, I hate to admit that, but they do. I was talking to an atheist recently. And he had no idea about... He hated God. A lot of Old Testament references. He hated God. But he didn't know the prophecies. And we started talking about the mark of the beast. And he had no idea what the mark of the beast was. And you know what? It was so beautiful because his heart opened up a little bit. Pray for him. His heart opened up. He was so, he's so full of hate towards God. And he had no idea about the mark of the beast system. And to look at the way technology is going today, to look at cashless society, the move, a hardcore move to cashless society, the hardcore move to smart technology, smart tattoos, it's here. The technology is here. And to talk to this atheist, hopefully one day I'll be able to say former atheist. Hopefully I'll be able to say my brother in Christ. But he knew the Bible, Old Testament. Like we, He presented verses he presented concepts to me that no pastor no elder has ever presented to me before never ever presented to me and we kept going and kept arg not arguing but you know arguing but like you know friendly and then i caught him i caught him about the mark of prophecy about the mark of the beast and he didn't understand. Then we started looking at Old Testament prophecies. And pray for him. You know why? Because I see his heart getting softer. That's being equipped. So you have a pastor that teaches you about grave soaking. You have a pastor that's a hypocrite. You have a pastor that's carnal. You know what I say? Get a new pastor. Get a new pastor. You have an elder that doesn't call the pastor on... Find in the church. You know, I hate to say that because I, you know, I don't hate to say that. I hate it and I love it. I hate it because I know it's difficult. But you need to be true to Jesus Christ. Don't be true to a pastor. Don't be true to an elder. Don't be true to, you know, whatever, uh, uh, you know, your sewing club, your golf club. You play basketball with these guys. Be true to Jesus Christ. He is the bridegroom. Be true to the bridegroom. And so look what happens here in verse 19. What, be, what may be known of God is manifest. It's evident in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world already, you know, if you're a non-believer and you're listening to my words right now, already, you're already like, 
Or I believe in, you know, uh, uh, the Big Bang Theory. The world is 500 billion years old or whatever it is. And here, verse 20. The creation of the world. Already the mockers are, you know, I'm triggering the mockers by saying this. He says in verse 19, it's manifested. God has shown it to them. It begs the question, how, Lord? How have you shown it to them? He says this, for since the creation of the world, already the mockers are triggered. Going crazy. I can't believe he said that. The Bible says this. You see, really the world is 500 billion years old. Well, let me tell you something about carbon dating, my friend. You read what the scientists say about carbon dating and the impact of water on carbon dating when a piece of wood or anything has been submerged in water for an extended period of time. Do you know what it does to the scales for carbon dating? It offsets everything. Everything. You know, fossils that are found in the ocean, they can't carbon date those because it's flawed. The science is flawed because the impact of the ocean on whatever object. There was a flood, my friend. The whole world was submerged underwater. The science of carbon dating, the so-called science of carbon dating, it's flawed. Let's continue. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Clearly seen. You have eyes. It's clear. I was watching some science shows. You know, astrophysicists. I love the astrophysicists that are honest. They just, they talk about dark matter. They talk about a certain quantum theory. It's like, okay, we don't understand this, but you know, we'll get there. Or an astrophysicist who straight up just says, I don't know. I don't know. We study it till we're blue in the face, but we have no idea, especially on the topic of dark matter. We have no idea. But you hear these people talk about like the sun, the planets, like if the moon were just a little bit, you know, in, in one direction. Or if the earth was just a little bit closer to the sun or the sun was a little bit closer to the earth, you know, we'd all fry. This earth would be uninhabitable. Or if the earth were just tilted a little bit more on its axis, everything, you know, would have floods all over the place. The earth would just be uninhabitable. What do we see? Order. How everything is created in God, by, in Christ, by Christ, and He holds all things together. That's what you see when you read John chapter 1, and when you read Colossians 1. That's what you see, creation. Genesis, creation. And his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. You hear people say, oh, I believe in God, but just not Jesus. I believe in a higher power, but you know, not the Bible. You see? His invisible attributes are clearly seen, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, they, they are without excuse. You see? Without excuse. No excuse. When you stand before the Lord, if you're a non-believer, and you want to say, oh yeah, the world is 500 billion years old, Big Bang Theory, all these things. Number one, the science is flawed. Number two, His invisible, the invisible attributes of our Lord are clearly seen clearly seen even his eternal power and godhead 
so that they are without excuse. That's you. You're without excuse, my friend. And I don't want you to stand before the Lord in judgment. I do not want that of you. You know why? Because God loves you. I want you to receive Jesus Christ. I want you to believe in Jesus Christ. There is hellfire and damnation. There is such a thing as God's wrath, which is coming on the earth. But God's wrath is already here, what we're studying here. People who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. People who are without excuse. You say, how are they without excuse? Because in verse 21, although they knew God, you think like, whoa, wait a second. What do you mean they knew God? They knew God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. Wow. To have a heart of thankfulness unto the Lord. A heart of thankfulness unto the Lord. Let me tell you something. If you're a parent raising kids, teach your kids hardcore. Teach them to say thank you. When they receive a gift, teach your kids to say thank you. Oh, thank you, Mama. Thank you, Papa. Because, you know, they get gifts. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't work for it. They didn't spend $10. They didn't spend $100 on whatever. It was bought for them. It came at somebody else's cost. But you teach your young kids a thankful heart because it translates to them when, they, when they're adults and it'll transfer to Jesus Christ when they receive gifts from the Father of Lights. You ever see adults who don't say thank you? It's carnality. It's the carnal nature. Entitlement mentality. Oh, I'm undo this. You owe this to me. It's... Entitled mentality. Entitled mentality. You see, adults, they don't say thank you. Oh, I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to this. Or they say, oh, God ordained. I don't have to say thank you. God ordained this to happen. What do I have to say thank you for? God ordained this to happen. If it shall be, it shall be. God ordained this to happen. I don't say thank you. You had no choice. You didn't have to give this to me. You had no choice about it. So you have these... Wicked adults who don't say thank you. Well, if you're a parent, you teach your kids and grain it in them. Fix it to their heart to say thank you. Because they didn't receive, they didn't do anything. But they receive gifts. And what happens when they're old, they're adults, you know, you, they never say thank you as a kid. What happens when they're given gifts by their father, father of lights? Their father in heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father the Father of lights. What happens when they receive gifts from the Father in heaven and because you haven't taught them to say thank you, they're just going to, oh, you know, no big deal. I don't have to be thankful. Thankful to who? Thankful to what? No, but if you're a parent, you teach your kids to say thank you. Teach them hardcore. You say thank you. Because it translates to them. When they have thankful hearts unto the Lord. Verse 21. They knew God, but they did not glorify Him. Teach your kids to glorify the Lord. How does that happen? Well, behavior. You know, when a child learns right and wrong, good and bad, you teach them, hey, that's bad. It doesn't glorify the Lord. Hey, this is good. You bring glory to the Lord. You know, from a young age, baby girl is learning how to glorify the Lord. How to bring dishonor to the Lord and what not to do. Oh, don't do that, baby girl. I'll come. 
If it's dishonorable to the Lord, it's not good. Oh, baby girl, don't do that. It's not good. I told you before. Baby girl, I'm telling you a third time, don't do that. Now you get a spanking. You see, chastisement because you love her. Now, baby girl, you did this. Praise be to the Lord. You're bringing honor to the Lord. Here, let's pray. Let's be thankful to the Lord. You know what you're doing? If you're a parent, you know what you're doing? You're helping the next generation of righteousness. You're bringing honor to the Lord through the next generation. What was in your loins? If you're a man. If you're a male. What was in your loins? You're honoring the Lord vicariously through the next generation of what was formerly in your loins. You pour into them. You say, I, I don't like that responsibility. It's not, <laughs> it's not my problem. <laughs> you know, you did the deed. You know, it takes two to tango. You did the deed. You have the responsibility. If you're a parent, you have the responsibility. Oh, you know, I, I don't like the responsibility. You should have thought about that. You should have thought about that. But now that we're, I've talked to parents a lot. Oh, I, I don't like this responsibility. It's too hard. My kids are like this. My kids are, you don't understand. They're wayward. You don't understand. No, I understand. I understand completely. You, is God not do honor? Is he not do glory? What you're doing when you're a parent and you're sacrificing, making sacrifices today for the tomorrows, not of yours, the tomorrows of your seed. The tomorrows in the next generation of righteousness. Teaching baby girl to glorify the Lord. Teaching baby girl to be thankful unto the Lord. When they receive gifts, baby girl gets a new gift. Tell her, say thank you. Baby girl, say thank you. And baby girl's learning how to have a thankful heart. And baby girl's playing with her toy or whatever. Baby girl's playing. Baby girl, you like that? Yeah, I like that, mama. Yeah, I like that, papa. Okay, good. Let's be thankful. Because you didn't do anything to, to, to earn that. You just got it. Because, you know, whatever. Be thankful. And then baby girl can learn this concept of being a, having a thankful heart. What you're doing, you read these verses, you're protecting baby girl when baby girl's 20. When baby girl's out of the house at age 18, moves on to college. If the Lord should tarry. Baby girl's alone, you know, living in Wisconsin, living in Florida, living in New York, living in wherever. Baby girl's gone. And you're protecting baby girl because you've poured into baby girl. Baby girl now knows, okay, I, I'm honoring the Lord. I'm bringing glory to the Lord. Look, every good and perfect gift comes from my Father. Lights, Lord, thank you. I know what it's like to have a thankful heart. You're protecting baby girl. Look at verse 21. Although they knew God, formerly, past tense, they knew God. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Futile here translates as they were rendered vain, foolish, idolatrous and wicked became futile in their thoughts it's the inner man the inner woman the heart and the mind what happens inside and their foolish hearts were darkened you see it gets worse it gets worse you say like man you know they knew god that's bad 
Wow, they knew God. They didn't glorify him. It's getting worse. They didn't glorify him. They're not thankful to him. Whoa, it's getting worse. They became futile. Whoa, it's getting worse. Their foolish hearts, that's bad. They became, their foolish hearts were even darker. They became darkened. Whoa, that, it's getting worse. The downward spiral begins. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. It's judgment. Judgment. Remember verse 18? God's wrath is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed. The wrath of God is surely, as surely as the Lord live, lives, it's going to come on the earth. But the wrath of God is present today, right here, right now, on individuals. Clearly seen. Just as, you know, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, you know what's also clearly seen? God's wrath. Which falls on individuals. People who are unthankful to the Lord. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and changed the glory of an incorrupt of the incorruptible God into an image. The fact that they changed the glory of an incorruptible God. It's idolatrous. A different God. Into an image made like corruptible men. Corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It's idolatry. Therefore, in verse 20, 24, therefore, God also gave them up. It's a sad part. These are some sad verses here. You think about and maybe you know people like this. Maybe they knew God. They grew up in the church. And then all of a sudden they go to college. You think like, wow, higher education. And then they come back and they hate God. They come back as like liberals. And they hate God. I, I hate the patriarchy. The patriarchy is so evil. What, what about Jesus Christ? He's our patriarch. What happened, baby girl? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. No glorification of the Lord. No thankfulness unto the Lord. Foolish hearts became dark. And they professed to be wise. And the Bible says they're stupid. They're fools. You see? Parents, train your kids. Equip your kids. Teach your kids. Pour into your kids. I've talked to a lot of deadbeat dads before. Oh, I want to watch the game. I don't have time for that. I'm too busy, you know, earning a living. Okay, that's fine. But you should have thought about that before you handle business, you know what I'm saying? This is your responsibility now. Remember, the Lord gives an alternative about the millstone. I don't mean to scare you by saying that. But you read it, and this is scary. So I don't want to withhold truth from you. <laughs> I don't like these responsibilities. Too late. The... The die has been cast. I don't know how that saying goes. The die has been cast. I don't know. People say these things. I don't get it. But, you know, it's already done. And these are so sad verses. Verse four, verse 24, therefore God also gave them up. Look at verse 26. God gave them up. And verse 28, God gave them over. It's sad. It breaks my heart. But notice here in verse 24, God also gave them up. You know what happens? They gave up on God. They gave up on God. That's the danger of a hard heart. 
You say, oh, you know, if you're a Calvinist, if you're into Reformed theory, you're a neo-Calvinist. Oh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what God does. He hardens people's hearts. Well, don't forget when you read uh, 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 Exodus, how many times Pharaoh hardened his heart? You know, Moses, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And then Pharaoh hardened his heart. Second time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Third time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Fourth time, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's a form of judgment. It's an Old Testament example of what we see here. Pharaoh gave up on God. Okay, God gave up on Pharaoh. You see? It's a form of judgment. You say, wait a second here, wait a second. I mean, what do you mean? It's you know, no, God gave God gave uh, he made Pharaoh's heart hard. Yeah, he did. It's true, biblically true. But look at all the opportunities Pharaoh had to believe in God, to acknowledge God. And don't forget. Egypt, at one point in time, they did honor the Lord. You hit the rewind button, you know, in Exodus. And don't forget Genesis, how Egypt was saved. The Lord saved Egypt through Joseph. And Egypt honored the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't forget. What happened? The Lord became forgotten in Egypt even in the camp of Israel. But the Lord made himself known. Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor, translates to maltreat and misuse their bodies among themselves. You're talking about the misuse of the body? That's precisely what I'm talking about. The misuse of the human body. All because of the lust of the heart. He says, who exchanged, which is also a change, idolatrous, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Don't forget, Satan, Lucifer, who's a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies. Don't exchange the truth for a lie. Jesus Christ is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Way, the truth, and the life. Three things. Way, truth, life. Way, truth, life. Don't forget that. People say, I love Jesus. Okay, you got the way. Praise be to the Lord. But there's no life without truth, my friend. You're at the door. Enter the door. Enter the gate. Oh, I believe, I believe Jesus Christ. I love Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord. You're at the door. You're at the gate. Enter the gate. Remember, way, truth, life. I believe Jesus. Praise the Lord. You got the way. You're at the way. Now you got to enter and be in the way. You have no life without truth. That's hardcore. The truth of God's holy word. It's convicting. I'm the first to admit. But you know what the Lord is doing inside your heart, inside your mind, when your little feelers are hurt? 
He's fixing you. He's adjusting you. He's making renovations inside your heart. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We don't operate in the realms of feelings. Oh, my feelings are hurt. Now, don't forget that feelings can be a tool that the Lord uses for sensitivities unto the Lord. But we don't follow feelings. We follow the Lord. Think of feelings as like a little antenna. You see? It's very important to understand these deep, deep, deep concepts for your own protection. You hear me talk about baby girl? What about for you? You know, it says here, although they knew God in verse 21, let that not be said of you. Don't forget, fish can become lambs, lambs can become sheep, sheep can become shepherds, but shepherds can become wolves. It's a very serious business. The Lord's business. Very, very serious. You hear me say a lot, you know, there's no other way to live. I've had it always. I've been a non-believer. I've been cold. I've been lukewarm. I've been, you know, hot. And I've been white hot. And I tell you from experience, it's much better to be white hot on fire for the Lord. Way better. Because then you can engage. You talk to an atheist who knows his Bible. Okay, bring it on. I don't say that pridefully. I say, bring it on. Let's, 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 let's come. Let's reason together. Let's discuss these deep things from a doctrinal standpoint. Sometimes you talk to an atheist from a doctrinal perspective. And as you boil things down, sometimes their hearts open up. The shell cracks open. And then you realize, wow, you know what, my friend? You hate God because of what happened to you as a child. You hate God because you were molested by a priest. Let me tell you something. That priest was a wolf. Not a vicar of Christ, a vicar of Satan. Don't blame God for that, my friend. If that's you, you know what? He'll heal you. It's the danger of hypocrisy. It kills your witness for Jesus Christ. That's what hypocrisy does. That's what carnality does. Verse 25 says, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worshipped and served the creature. Creation. Rather than the Creator. Look at all the environmentalists today. The green movement. People want to prevent global warming. Well, let me tell you something. Global warming is real. It's very real. I'm not a liberal. Global warming is very real. You know what it is? It's judgment. It's judgment. You say, well, you know what? I thought you were a Christian. What are you talking about? Global warming is real. Well, global warming is real. I'll explain that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth 
and the works that are in it will be burned up. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you global warming. Biblical global warming. You see? So you hear me say global warming is real? I'm not a globalist. I'm not, I don't align myself with the wicked globalists. I align myself with Holy Scripture. Since we know that biblical, uh, that bib, uh, 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 <laughs> biblical warming, <laughs> that's why I should start calling it. <laughs> global warming is a biblical event. What does that say of all those people who want to prevent it from happening? You can't prevent the things of the kingdom to come. There's no stopping it. Judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming and the wrath of God is here. You say, what do you mean the wrath of God is here? Well, in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Natural use here. Highlight it in your Bible. I don't care if you're male or female. Highlight this in your Bible, the natural use. Because it translates as what is instinctive use and in use here is sexual intercourse. You say, I, I don't want to highlight that in my Bible. You know what? Highlight it in your Bible. I'm going to exercise some pastoral authority. Highlight it in your Bible because you might not have a problem. But a lot of people, a lot of men have problems with the unnatural use of the human body. A lot of men. I don't call them men. I call them boys. Big behemoths, man. They got the beards. They got the muscles. But they're little boys with diapers and their little baby bottle and a little binky in their mouth. Still answering to mommy and daddy. Little boys. The unnatural use of the human body. Wives who are taught from the pulpit. They're taught by their pastor. They're taught by their elder. And a lot of times it's in neo-Calvinist churches. Churches that are under Reformed theory, which is just a theory. Calvinistic churches. And say wives. <clears throat> wives, submit to your husbands. A biblical truth. A biblical truth. Wives, submit to your husbands. But there are certain qualifiers. So say, for example, your wife. To my beloved sisters in Christ, I love you. Okay, but let me tell you something. If you have a wicked husband, your husband's in crazy town, don't submit to him. You submit to Jesus Christ. You submit to your, your capital H husband. And you hold on to your husband with your left hand and you hold on to your kids with your right hand. In so doing, you can say, you save your family. You save your kids. Your husband goes off and does crazy town stuff. What happens if your husband becomes a crackhead? And you're taught from the pulpit, wife, submit to your husband. Your husband's a crackhead and says, hey, baby, let's go do crack. Okay, I'm going to submit to my husband because my pastor taught me that. My teacher taught me that. So I'm going to submit to my husband and I'm going to go do crack. No, don't do that. Your husband's a fool. He's wayward. He's wicked. Hold on to him. Don't submit to him. You submit to your husband, capital H, husband. You submit to Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you become a covering for your husband. And you are the covering for your kids. And it's not of your doing. It's because your husband has abdicated his responsibilities as a Christian, as a husband, as a man. He's a boy. He's not a man. I'm sorry to tell you, but you married a boy. 
<laughs> it's just a vapor. I don't mean to laugh, but it's just a vapor. I mean, 5,000 years from now, we're going to laugh about this because it's just a vapor, this life. So, you know, he got on his knee or, you know, he says, you know, will you marry me? You could have said no. You know, you're at the altar or whatever, you know, and, you know. Do you hold this man to be your awfully wedded husband? I do. You could have said, I don't. You said, I do. You know, you made the choice to handle business, you know, sexually. You have babies, you have kids, you have kids 20 years old, 15 years old. I don't know. Your husband starts to do crack. He becomes a crackhead. He becomes a porn addict. Addicted to pornography, the marriage bed is defiled. Disgusting, disgusting things. He goes out and watches his pornography, the unnatural use of the human body. He comes to you and says, wife, submit to me. Thus saith the pastor, submit to your husband. Thus saith the elder, submit to me. And if you do have a stupid pastor, if you do have a stupid elder, you know, and you're a wife, you submit to your stupid husband. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be doing the unnatural use of the human body, the unnatural use, satisfying the carnal nature. Instead of satisfying the spirit, satisfying the carnal nature and dishonoring the Lord Jesus Christ, your capital H husband. A lot of, a lot of husbands, they get on their phones, they watch their pornography, they watch their TV, they watch their movies on the computer, they watch whatever on the computer. And they get, they feed the flesh. It's like a drug, you know, more crack, more crack, more crack, more coke, more coke, more coke. And all of a sudden, it's like, it gets worse. I talked to a child molester. And he told me how he became a child. It was like, you know, it, one step was wickedness and it just got worse. It was like, okay, the next high. What's the next high? And the victims became younger and younger. You know, instead of like, you know, 40-year-olds, it became 30-year-olds, it became 20-year-olds, it became 10-year-olds, it became 5-year-olds, child molester. It's like the next high, just like, just like crack, just like cocaine, alive from the pit of hell. And if you're a, a beautiful, godly wife, and I, I, I say that blindly, I don't mean beautiful, like <laughs> carnally speaking. I mean beautiful in terms of honoring the Lord. It just so happens that you have a dumb pastor who says, wife, submit to your husband. Do whatever your husband says. You know what? And then you do that, you submit to your husband, your husband says, okay, you know, we're going to do this sexually. You're going to do this, you're going to perform like this, you're going to work out because I want you to look like this. And I saw this on the movies, I saw this on my pornography that I was watching. So you're going to do this, 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 this. You know what you're doing? You're dishonoring the Lord, the unnatural use of the human body. And you're submitting yourself to a fool. No, if you're a wife, you submit to Jesus Christ. And you are the new wineskin. And new wine is pouring into you. And you are the covering of your family. And your husband can be saved. Your kids, you save your kids. You're now the shelter. And the wife, I love you women. The wife is the weaker vessel. It's, have you ever talked to women before that are just tired and exhausted because the wife is the weaker vessel 
I don't mean to hurt your little feelers. If you're a woman and you're listening to what I'm saying, I don't mean to hurt your little feelers. I like to equate it to fine china. You know, I have this pot. It's like heavy metal. You know, I have this pot. I cook everything in it. Steak, eggs, you know. I even make salads in it. I do it. I, I cook like it's like my go-to pot. I make everything in that pot. I love that pot. And if it ever loses a handle, I'm going to cry. I love that pot. It's got the dings. It's got the, you know, the chinks taken out of it. It's got, you know, little scrapes. It's got scratches. But I have my pot. It's metal. You can bang on it, whatever. But my wife, she likes fine china, you know. She likes the nice stuff, you know. And that's like me. I'm like the pot. You can bang on me. You can do whatever. You can. It's like it doesn't, it doesn't. That's just me. I'm a pot. I'm metal pot, cast iron pot. My wife, she's fine china. She can still hold, you know, she's a vessel that can still hold water, a sauce, you know, salad, spaghetti, whatever. It can still hold. Containers, same amount. It can still hold. Equality in Christ. But she's still the weaker vessel. You can take a metal spoon and pound on me. Nothing's going to happen. You can take a metal spoon and pound on the china. It's going to shatter. The weaker vessel. Now, if you're a woman and, you know, it's like, wow, I don't like hearing that I'm the weaker vessel. I love you. Okay, I want you to know that I love you. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. But in yielding to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, you have to understand these concepts and you need to yield to Him. You cannot yield to Him and say, you know what, I'm going to be a feminist. I don't like the patriarchy. Down with the patriarchy. But then all of a sudden you bring dishonor to the Lord. Now, if you're a wife and you're like, I don't like hearing that I'm the weaker vessel because my husband, he makes me feel like I'm the weaker vessel. He makes me feel like dirt. He puts it in my face. I'm the weaker vessel. You know what? You have a dumb husband. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you. If that's you and your wife, you have a dumb husband. Your husband's a fool. Your husband's not a man. I don't care how big he is, how strong he is. I don't care how much facial hair he has. He's a boy with a little bottle, little binky in his mouth, wearing diapers. He's a little boy. Sorry to tell you, woman. You married a little boy. I tell you this in love. But husbands, you need to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Yes, your wife is the weaker vessel. Honor her. Treat her. Protect her like she's the weaker vessel. Yes, she's the weaker vessel. But the chips, the dings, the hits, you take it. A lot of husbands are stupid. They're little boys. They don't like these godly responsibilities. So what do they do? They let their wife be the heavy. Stupid little boys. Hate to tell you, you know, sorry, sorry to break the news to you. <laughs> but it's true. I don't mean to laugh either. We're going to laugh. You know, 5,000 years from here, we're going to laugh. I, I, I guarantee you, you're going to laugh. I'll come to you in my glorified body. I'll approach you in your glorified body. i say, you remember 5,000 years ago? When, you know, you had this little boy husband, you know, and, you know, we, you know I was laughing and you, you kind of hurt your feelings. And you're going to smile. Oh, yeah, I remember that. See, see, I told you you'd laugh about it one day. But when you start thinking about in eternal, deep, deep, deep eternal things. 
it makes this life easier. Understanding that it's just a vapor. We're just passing through. We're just walking through, passing through. And we're fishing along the way. Verse 26. Highlight this. Even their women exchange or highlight the natural use. Which translates as the instinctive in sexual intercourse. You know. This goes here. I don't mean to get graphic, but you know, this goes here. It doesn't go here. It doesn't go there. Don't do this, this, you know, what, you know, that's disgusting. The unnatural use of the human body. That's what Paul says here. Women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. And then Paul starts to address lesbianism. He starts to address homosexuality. He starts to address bestiality. Remember in our study in the Leviticus and the Lord writes statues for Israel. Straight up statutes. And says, you know, no sex with, you know, men. Don't do sex with men. Women, no sex with women. You know, and you're like, okay, this is hardcore, but I understand. And then all of a sudden, no sex with men. No sex with animals. You're like, what world? What? Where did that come from? Animals? What are you talking about? Like left field, like, whoa. Women, no sex with animals? Like, what? Because anthropologically speaking, you look at the surrounding the surrounding peoples of Israel, of the camp where they were headed, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and their idolatrous ways and how their form of worship and what they did sexually in worship of their gods, their idols. It was a lot of disgusting stuff. I don't even speak about it. I might touch on it very, very briefly. But a lot of sex with kids, sex with animals, sex with men with men, women with women in worship of their sex gods. Look at the world around us. Look at the world around us. Wickedness. The unnatural use. What is against nature. In verse 27, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use. So verse 26, the women leave the natural use. Verse 27, the men leave the natural use. What is instinctive for sexual intercourse. Highlight this. Male, female, young, old. Highlight this. A lot of old people are sexual perverts. Look at the STD rates that are on the rise in senior homes. Senior homes, senior care facilities. And you look at the STD, chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, AIDS. All these STDs that are on the rise in senior facilities. All these STDs that are touching down into young kids now. It's on the rise. A lot of sex is going on. That's what's happening. So you hear me say in the Old Testament, a lot of blood. You know why? A lot of sin. You hear me say a lot of sex. A lot of sin is happening and needs to be covered, atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody's having sex with everybody. They have the apps now. You go on the app, you know, you're a business trip. Hey, wife, I'm going on a business trip. You go on a business trip. You have the app on your phone. You say, G- GPS, you know, I'm here. Here I am. I'm near this hotel and I'll meet whoever here. Somebody gets alert on their phone. Okay, this guy wants to handle business. This girl wants to handle business. You know, they say, okay, boom, accept. Go to this hotel. Boom, handle business. Come out of the hotel room. Boom, nobody knows. Hey, wife, that was a good business trip, you know. Everything was fine. Except the Lord has been witness. 
wives who are dead now, died of HIV, died of AIDS. Wives who are dead. They were faithful to the Lord, faithful to their husband, but their husband was unfaithful. All of a sudden, the wife gets AIDS. How in the world did I get AIDS? I've been a virgin my whole life. I got married, sexually active. All of a sudden, I have AIDS now. What in the world? And the husband says, oh, that business trip, I was unfaithful to you. That other business trip, I was unfaithful to you. That other business trip, I was unfaithful to you. Comes home, wife has AIDS, dies of AIDS. The kids are little. The kids grow up. They don't understand, you know, you know, mama's dead. You know, they understand mama's dead, but they don't understand why. The kids grow older, 12 years old, 15 years old. And then they start to understand sexual things. Man, dad, you killed mom? And you went to church and you tell me to believe in Jesus Christ and you killed mom no way I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ because you killed mom you see carnality hypocrisy if you're a parent and you teach your kids about Jesus Christ. <laughs> you cannot be a hypocrite. You can. But you're only hurting yourself and your kids. You're only hurting your family. If you want to be a hypocrite, you, mean, you can. But you're hurting your family. If you want to be carnal, you can. You're hurting your family. You're hurting the Lord, the name of the Lord. You're dishonoring the Lord. That's step one, verse 21. That's step one. Well, step one is God is, you know, starts to become forgotten. And then all of a sudden, no glory to the Lord. That's step one. Step two, all of a sudden, no thankful. You ever see people, adults who don't say thank, don't, don't say thank you? You're already at step two. And then you start to see adults, they're stupid. Their hearts become dark, what they laugh about, the things that they think is humorous. The hearts are getting darker. They, they you have their doctorate in whatever. They have their master's degree in whatever. They have their bachelor's degree in whatever. Wow, look how wise this guy is. But the Bible says professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 22. All of a sudden, they start to worship creation. Oh, global warming, let's save the earth. Let's save the trees, let's hug a tree. You see? And what does the Bible tell us? Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. It comes upon individuals. Verse 27, likewise also, the man, leaving the natural use, leaving the instinctive Use of the human body for sexual intercourse. That's what natural use translates. Leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. You see? Don't judge me. That's what the world says. Don't judge me lest you be judged. Everybody's a Bible expert. Don't judge me lest you be judged. Don't forget, judgment has three words. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. You cannot do crino. But you can do, you must do. 
anacrino and diacrino. You have to make an assessment. And then you also must take the plank out of your own eye so you can see clearly. And when you see clearly, you know what taking the plank is? That's not being a hypocrite. That's removing carnality. You're always going to wrestle with the flesh. You're always going to wrestle with the carnal nature. But as soon as the carnal nature presents itself, and it's in the mind, if carnal nature presents itself in word, in the works of your hands, in the steps of your feet, that's not good. You need to repent. But when you start repenting for things in your mind, what you think about, praise be to the Lord, you're getting closer. Moving on to perfection. And then all of a sudden, the Lord does a mighty work in you. Wow, Lord, forgive me, you know, because my mind went here and it was disobedient to you, Lord. It needs to be in you, Lord. And you repent like, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have done. People, you know, sometimes I repent publicly because I want, you know, when we would meet for church services, you know, because we have these rules of government and in submission to government, what is pleasing to the Lord, pleasing to the Lord to submit to government. It's not going to last very long. I don't think it's going to last very long, these government shutdowns. It might be long, but you know what? It's very interesting to see the, the behavior of the church today. Churches that meet, you know, they, 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 they buck the government. You know, they buck the system. And they, they meet like this. They meet however, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second. What are you teaching your flock, pastor? What are you teaching your flock, elder? Oh, we're Americans. You know, we have First Amendment rights, Second Amendments. We have all these rights, all the whatever. We can do this. Yes, that's true. That's true. But let me ask something of you, Christian. My beautiful brother, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. Let me ask something. Where's your citizenship? Where is your citizenship? I, I'm... You know, I'm an American. But above that, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I read my Bible, and we're going to get to Romans 13 about submission to government. And it's pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord. And I want to be a vessel of honor and glory unto my Lord. Remember Paul? Remember, the book of Romans was already written. We need around Acts chapter 20. The cost of being a Christian was very, very heavy. It was getting even heavier. What they did, what the Romans did to Christians as Christians became the enemy. What they did to Christian women. What they did to pregnant women. What they did to the men, to Christian husbands. Holding them, beating them, and making the men, the husbands, watch what the Roman soldiers did sexually to their wives, to their daughters, and to their young sons. Sexually. Making a husband watch. A Christian husband. What happened? To the Christian wife. To the Christian kids. Lord, I have to submit to this government. Lord, it's pleasing for you to submit to this government. Don't forget the judgment that is coming. I never want you to forget the judgment that is coming. 
what it says in 2 Thessalonians. I'm just going to read. In verse 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. See? These in verse 4, Paul writes about the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. I'm not saying it's easy. But when you put things in perspective of the early church, what a trembling cup that they had to drink of in the face of persecution. What a trembling cup. Wow, Lord. And the last days are going to be worse. Now, I live in Western culture. We were trapped in this bubble where we're sheltered from a lot of what's happening. But I read reports of what's happening in the persecuted church today. It kills me. It breaks my heart. I don't want it to happen. And if that's you, if you're listening and that's you, and you're in an area where there's persecution, where it's life and death to be a Christian, Women getting raped to send a message, a signal to the church. If you're going to be a Christian, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what we're going to do to your daughters. I want you to know that we pray for you. We pray hard for you. My knees, they hurt. My back hurts. My whole body hurts. For you. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. There's going to be such a such great glory in the presence of our Lord. You hear me say things about Christian conduct. Christian conduct. What is pleasing before the Lord? Remember, my goal, my task, my charge given to me by my master, capital M, master, M-A-S-T-E-R, capital M. His name is Jesus. It's for your heart to be aligned with His, to be pressed up against His, for His heart to envelop yours and yours to envelop His, to become one. That's my goal. In so doing, I have to teach these things, which are hard concepts, difficult concepts. I don't want you to be a hypocrite. I don't want you to be carnal. You have your choice to make. You can choose to be carnal. You can choose to be a hypocrite. But you know what? You bring a lot of damage to the name of the Lord. A lot of hurt to families. And you know what? No power. No power. 
You know, your religion is your belly. It's just religion. You have no relationship with Jesus Christ. It's religion. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. No gaps. That's my desire. That's my charge. And so look what happens here going to Romans 1 verse 27. Likewise, also the man leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. The penalty of their error translates as being deceived, strayed, and under delusion. Which was due. Whoa, that's hardcore. That's sexual sin, my friend. That's sexual sin. The unnatural use of the human body. You know, wives submit to your husband. Biblical truth. But wife, beautiful, beautiful sister in Christ, if your husband is not in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to submit to Jesus Christ. Your husband is crazy town. Crazy town. And you know what? The Lord hates divorce. But when it comes to sexual sin and marital infidelity, there are rules for divorce. And when you, you know, if you're a woman, you have an unfaithful husband, you, a husband that has defiled the marriage bed, which is holy, which was holy if that's your husband. Biblically, the Lord hates divorce, except because your husband has broken the covenant. You haven't. A lot of husbands like to guilt trip their wives. Oh, don't break the covenant. God hates divorce. No, you broke the covenant, husband. Lowercase h, you broke the covenant. And because this covenant is severed, you know, the, the covenant's broken. There's provisions where a wife can divorce biblically and she can't get married again. Biblically. is to become a widow. Take the kids. Become a covering for the wife. Become a covering for the kids. The wife becomes the, the leader in the home. And you know, the Lord hates divorce. But when cases of sexual immorality, the marriage bed is defiled, it's not the wife that, the wife says, okay, I'm getting a divorce. It's not the wife that's breaking the covenant. No, no, no. The unfaithful husband has broken the covenant. It's evil. It's wicked in the sight of the Lord. The marriage bed, which was, past tense, which was holy, is no longer holy. It is defiled. And the Lord says, wife, it's okay to get a divorce. Whoa. That's hardcore stuff. A lot of husbands are stupid. Fools. Little boys. They, I don't care how buff they are. I don't care how hairy they are. They're beta males. They are little boys. Little tiny boys with binkies in their mouth. And you know who I blame? Pastors. Elders. Because pastors and elders, because they're compromised themselves, because they themselves are doing their pornography, because they themselves are on, you know, they're married, they have, you know, wife number two, maybe three, but then they also have girlfriend number five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They do their little sex apps. They do whatever. They meet whoever. Oh, I'm going to go in the mission field. But they have their little sex apps. Oh, I'm going to go on a little church meeting. We're going to go on this pastor's meeting, pastor's conference. But they have their little sex apps. You want me to, you know, a pastor's conference. A pastor's conference where it's nothing but pastors. 
And what happens in the hotel rooms? For the so-called godly? Wicked, wicked men. Beta males, wolves. He's like, well, okay, I get it. I, you know, you've, you've made your point. I get it. Let's move on. Okay, well, wait a second. If you have a pastor that doesn't teach like this, that doesn't teach on these subject matter, pornography, it's killing the church today. It's a cancer in the church today. Get a new pastor. Because the days are evil. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker. And you, my friend, you need to be trained. There is such a thing as the unnatural use of the human body. It's the wrath of God. Remember, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed. And so look what happens here. In verse 28, in closing, and even as they did not like, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Whoa. They did not like. The word like here is to examine and discern. So that's another error. They're not making these examinations. They're not making these determinations. They're not making any discernment. And what is it towards? Retaining God in their knowledge. Remember, verse 21 says they knew him. They knew him. Except they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. Whoa. God became forgotten. Just like in Egypt at the end of uh, Genesis. Like, wow, this is so beautiful. Egypt was saved because of Joseph and how the Lord used Joseph, a type of Christ. Then you go into Exodus. What happens? God became forgotten. We're looking at beautiful passages in Le uh, Leviticus. I almost said Lexodus, but Le Leviticus. Beautiful, beautiful passages of the law, statutes to follow for people to be right, for people to discern unclean and clean, to make the discernment for themselves. And then we're going to read further in the Old Testament and we see that God becomes forgotten. What about the church today? Look at the church in Corinth. Sexual sin. Look at the church in Galatia. They want to go back to the law. This is just, you know, a couple, within years, a couple years after the birth of the church. And Paul writes these letters. He lovingly, lovingly writes these letters to correct them. What about us today? 2,000 years, give or take a couple years, 2,000 years later. So you, you know, sometimes people get on my case. They say, oh, I don't like how you teach. It's too hard. It's too hard. You know what I love so much about the day that we live in? Culture is so abrasive today. We're not in like 1930s, you know, 1920s or 1820s, whatever. But culture is so abrasive now. And I, I have an abrasive background. You know, I, my language wasn't exactly mm, soft. <laughs> but I think it's so beautiful how the Lord can take a person. You know, so specific for such a time as this. That's just so beautiful. I don't care about your sin. You're a crackhead, you know. You believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. Give up your crack. You're a sex head, you know. You're addicted to sex, your pornography. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. Repent, be born again. Be alive in Christ. You got to put down the sex. You know, get married and, you know, 
handle business. Don't forget there's responsibilities for children. So if you don't like those responsibilities, then, you know, Paul presents a better alternative, <laughs> which we're going to get to pretty soon. Well, you know, probably in a year, but we'll get there. But Paul's going to present a better alternative. Make a suggestion if you're thinking about marriage. Don't forget our marriage to the bridegroom. If you're male, yes, your marriage to the bridegroom, your marriage to Jesus Christ. The Alpha and the Omega. And so look what happens here. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, translates as reprobate and rejected mind, to do those things which are not fitting. Whoa. Now, if I was a Calvinist, which I'm not, if I was a Reformed theorist, which I'm not, or a Neo-Calvinist, I'd say, you see, God is doing it. God is doing it. God gave them a debased mind. He's doing it. Don't forget. In verse 24, God also gave them up. They gave up on God. They gave up on God. You know what it is? It's self-inflicted. Just like you hear me say in our study in Leviticus, self-inflicted. This is hardcore. You know, I have a lot of beef sometimes with Christians who come down on homosexuals. They come down hard. Christians who come down on lesbians. Let me tell you something. If you're homosexual, if you're a lesbian, you know what? Yes, it's a vile passion. It's an unnatural use of the human body. But I love you. And God loves you. Come out of that lifestyle. Come out of her, my people. Come out of that life. Deny that lifestyle. Because God loves you. There's a better way. The exact same way the Lord rescued me out of my own sexual sin. You see? The Lord rescues. The Lord pulls you out of Egypt. And for some people, He'll send back to Egypt. For his purpose. Just like he did with Moses. Brought Moses out of Egypt. Fixed him up. Trained him. Equipped him. And then sent him back to Egypt. For a mighty task. Don't forget Zipporah's ministry. <laughs> My beautiful sisters in Christ. Don't forget the ministry of Zipporah. <laughs> but I get mad. at Not mad. But oh, I guess kind of a little, little peeved. That Christians who come down on homosexuals, Christians who come down on lesbians. Because you know why? The wrath of God is revealed on individuals, on homosexuals, yes, on lesbians, yes, but there's no period. Because look what happens here. In verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, comma, sexual immorality, which is porneia. Christians who say, oh yeah, homosexuals are going to burn in hell. Well, if they come to Christ, they're saved. And you know what? If you're going to be a sex addict, a porn head, and you're going to be addicted to your, you're always on your phone, addicted to your pornography, you're going to be cheating on your wife. That's the path of destruction. You talk about homosexuals burning in hell. If you're going to continue down that path, you know where you're going. That's the wide path. That's the wide road. Which leads to perdition. Hellfire damnation. Oh, don't teach that. Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about damnation. Don't talk about condemnation. 
It's too abrasive. People, I've talked to pastors who say, I don't like to teach them Revelation. We get to Jude and we don't even study Revelation. Talk about an ill-equipped church for the last days. They don't understand Revelation. They don't understand the, the events of the last days. You've never trained them, pastor. What in the world kind of pastor are you? You call yourself a pastor, but I call you a hireling. Biblically, I call you a hireling. Not because I want to hurt your feelers, but I call you a hireling because that's what the Bible says you are. You need to repent and step down. You are ill-equipped to shepherd. Look what happens here. Porneia, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. You know, look at all these commas here. It's no period. You know, Christians who say, oh, homosexuals, you're going to burn in hell. Lesbians, you're going to burn in hell. Period. You read the Bible, you look at these verses. No period. Unrighteousness, comma, sexual immorality, comma, wickedness, comma, covetousness, comma, maliciousness, semicolon. I read New King James Version, semicolon. Full of envy, comma, murder, comma, strife, comma, deceit, deceit, comma, evil-mindedness, semicolon. They are whisperers. Whisperers here translates as slanderer, as a moral assassin. A moral assassin. Comma. Backbiters, comma, haters of God, comma, violent, comma. For me personally, I have to be careful with violence. Because in my old nature, I really, really liked violence. I loved violence. The people I hung around, the people I associated with, were a very, very violent group of people. Confirmed kills. Killers. Killers of men. That was the crew I hung around with. I have to be careful with violence. Because, you know, you get punched in the face. I want to turn the other cheek, but when I get punched in the face, it's like an on button. I don't like it. I hate it. So I read this and it's like, whoa. There's no period. It's not homosexual, lesbian, period. I read homosexual, comma, lesbian, comma. And all these things. Uh, unrighteousness, sexual immorality, comma, wickedness, comma, covetousness, comma, all these commas. And then boom, violence. Whoa. Lord, help me. I got to be careful, Lord. Proud, comma, boasters, comma, inventors of evil things, comma, disobedient to parents, comma, whoa. You mean kids are included? Yes, kids are included. Now, there, there's the age of accountability. You have like little five-year-olds. They don't understand certain things. A little 12-year-old, 15, 16-year-old, they understand. Disobedient to parents, kids included. Verse 31, undiscerning, comma, untrustworthy, comma, unloving, comma, translates as hard-hearted, without natural affection. You ever see people, they're stoic in nature? They're stoic. It's like they don't have a heart. Wow, where's your heart? Wow, how could you be so calloused? The plight of this person. The plight of this person. How could you be so callous? You're so hard-hearted. Sometimes people have a hard heart because of what they've experienced in life. You know, a lot of times people use that as an excuse too. They start to blame their daddy issues. Oh yeah, I'm addicted to pornography because I have daddy issues. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to crack. I'm addicted to meth because of my daddy issues. 
gospel. As a Christian, you have a new father in heaven. You've always had your father in heaven, but now you can see him more clearly. Be alive in Christ. Don't make excuses for the flesh. Don't make excuses for the carnal nature. Unforgiving, unmerciful. Who, in verse 32, knowing. Very interesting, knowing. Remember verse 21, they knew God. Verse 28, they did not like to retain God. Verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, which translates as to perform repeatedly. That's what practice is. To perform repeatedly or habitually. You hear people talk about habitual sin. Oh, I, 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 I'm addicted to pornography. My sex, my drugs, my crack, my meth, my coke, my whatever. I'm addicted. It's my habitual sin. What does Jesus Christ say? Go and sin no more. That's what he says. Go and sin no more. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, addresses uh, habitual sin, the so-called habitual sin. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Whoa, that's hardcore. But there's a comma there. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Whoa. Approve? You hear people say like, you know, you say like, oh, you know what? I'm not down with the sexual sin. Pornography is a cancer. Oh, don't be so judgmental. What are you talking about? The Bible says it. Well, you, you probably also believe that homosexuality is a sin. Yeah, the Bible says it is. Well, love is love. Well, I'm sorry. I, I don't approve of that lifestyle. It's not for me to make for another person. The person has to make, their make, to make their choice. But I've made my choice. Oh, Love is love. You're so full of hate. Love is love. Look at verse 32. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Whoa. This is a picture in the New Testament. You hear me say in the Old Testament, when God becomes forgotten. This is what happens when God becomes forgotten. Remember, they knew God at one point in verse 21. They knew God. But yet they did not glorify him, nor were they thankful. And what happens? God becomes forgotten. And when God becomes forgotten, a person turns their back on the Lord. They give up on the Lord. And in verse 24, God also gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over. A debased mind, a reprobate mind, rejected mind. Whoa, that is hardcore. But this is what happens when God becomes forgotten. People say, don't talk about the wrath. Or don't, don't share the gospel and talk about God's wrath. Don't talk about judgment. Paul says, I'm a, verse 15, I'm going to preach the gospel to you in Rome. I'm preaching the gospel. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of uh, it's the, the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation. And then boom, verse 18, wrath. He hits it hard. He starts discussing the wrath of God, which is revealed You see, a gospel, a gospel that omits wrath is not good news. Because salvation from what? Salvation from what? Saved from what? Wrath, which falls on the world and falls on individuals. 
I know this was a hard sermon, kind of long, but I know this was a hard sermon, a hard passage to read and study through. I know it was difficult. And I don't do it to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't say these things to hurt anybody's feelings. Remember, my goal is for your heart to be pressed against the heart of our Lord. And we're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. I love you guys.